Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. We're uh, finally uh, two full months into the new year doing our best of uh, 2008. But that's the way it should be, I think. For uh, So that we're not tainted by the Oscars, perhaps? Yeah, but I mean also because we don't... There's a certain catching up period, you know. Yeah. Everything comes out at the end of the year, and we're not, you know, we have jobs, right? Right. You know, and, uh, uh, that aren't film criticism, right? Sadly, <laughs> but um, we don't get to see everything right away, so we kind of have to have this catching up period. And I still haven't seen everything. I mean, it's it really yeah. bums me out. I know you recently you finally got to see Happy Go Lucky, which I never, yeah, never made it to see. I have not seen the big ones that I haven't seen. I did not. See, I haven't seen the Reader. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I don't think that would have had much of an effect on my top ten. I did not see Frozen River. Really wanted to. I didn't see Rachel getting married, and I didn't see Let the Right One In. Those were the big ones that I wanted to see. So, um, but uh, Uh, let's get into it because it's going to be a long one. It's going to be a long episode. It's okay, you guys. You don't have to listen to it in one sitting. Right. If if, like you listen to this on your commute normally, you don't have to sit in your car in the parking lot until we're done. Although that would be kind of awesome. <laughs> it's just like, why are you an hour and a half late? <laughs> I was, I had to hear what was their number one. And the boss is like, oh, well, I just split it up. Um, <laughs> because everyone at this everyone, company. Yeah, there's no question about yeah. it. Uh, All right, let's well, get to it. Okay, so what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with our least favorite movies of yeah, the year? Yeah, because I don't have much to say about it, really. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got, there's like the obvious ones, well, obvious if you knew what I saw, like yeah. movies that I saw and knew they were going to be terrible and right. I had to see them for a certain reason, whatever. And like, so like, like witless protection is the worst <laughs> movie I saw last year. Uh, close second is my best friend's girl. Oh my. And those are just movies that I ended up having to see. But as far as like stuff that I was that you disappointed by, you yeah. know, they, I, that I, that I really ended up not liking, I would say for me, it's Synecdoche, New York oh, okay. is, is my, my least favorite film that I, uh, that matters. That is my least favorite film. Okay, uh, my least favorite, and you know, it's actually, I guess I should probably qualify it as well. My least favorite. It's a similar thing, uh, and I mentioned it uh, a long time ago, uh, probably about a year ago now. Um, the reason that Jen and I went to see it was because it was a, a film premiere, and we'd never been to one, so oh, we went, right. and, went and saw Fool's Gold. And the more I think of it, the more I hate it. <laughs> At the time, I was like. This is not it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It has gotten worse in my mind. Uh, <laughs> just I think I, I think after I think the amount of energy that Matthew McConaughey put into Reign of Fire, I think he's still recuperating because <laughs> he does not care at all. I mean, he just waltzes through his performances and uh, and to kind of counteract him, uh, Kate Hudson is overacting and it's and it, and nobody's hey. happy. Kate Hudson is my best friend's girl. Our our, uh, oh. our worst movies have something in common. Oh boy, uh, I guess that probably is to be expected. But what's what's the worst it. movie that you disappointed? Uh there was there was also a movie called While She Was Out, uh, that was that starred Kim Basinger. It had a very limited release. Uh, Kim Basinger and Lucas Haas and. Uh, I literally I know that that's in my Netflix queue. Like I read a review and decided, oh, I'll, okay. I'll save that in my Netflix, Netflix queue, but I don't remember it at all. Yeah, it's it's my second to last. But here's the thing: Kim Basinger is doing solid work in it, uh-huh. really good. And even and Lucas Haas, who plays the villain, he does pretty well too. And there there's some really solid scenes, and it starts out being paced fairly well, but then it just. Eh, it's a shame. I mean, it's the, I think the director. It's it was her first film. 
Um, and I think she's got some talent, but I think she just needs to kind of get out of her own way. And she does. She makes some choices that completely undercut the hard work that mm-hmm. Kim Basinger is doing. And I, I, that movie I just wound up being disappointed in. Yeah. But so I would. So that's thirty. I, I only saw thirty six movies of two thousand eight. Sorry, I, everybody. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, what my number is. So that's my thirty six and thirty five. But probably my least favorite is probably Red Belt. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's actually like one step up, one of it's one above Synecdoche on my list. Yeah, it's just I mean we've talked about above it before that, the Strangers above that the Strangers Cloverfield. Okay, yeah, I've got the Ruins and then Chronicles of Narnia, Pr- Prince Caspian, and then uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, see, you go to see movies that <laughs> that I, those are right. I put out those not quite in the witness protection category, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. like movies that I kind of thought were gonna suck. You know, it's. Like an Indiana Jones movie, it's like, hey, I don't think I've ever seen one of these in the theater. I think I'll see this one. And uh, as as I mentioned, yeah, but uh, I'm sure that like the new Beverly will show one of the good ones in the theater sooner or later. I know, I know. But it was it was kind of an event kind of thing. And then uh, we went to the two dollar theater and saw Chronicles of Narnia because I kind of liked the first one. And you I, I like the, the first, first one, one actually. Yeah. You may, you know what? You may like the second one. I don't know. You you may actually from what enjoy I've heard, it. I won't. But uh, um, but Red Belt, judgment. we've we've talked about Red Belt before. It's just nothing about it seems very important you know yeah. like it's just clearly it's it's i would almost compare it god help me to assassination tango i love robert duvall mm-hmm. i love him as an actor he made assassination tango which has some interesting elements to it but it's kind of his love letter to the tango and it's like you know what good for you maybe make a documentary next time yeah um you know and uh and for the life of me, I don't remember what is the martial art in Red Belt. Oh, I don't remember. Well, okay. it's, it's like a—I don't know what, which one he teaches, but it has to do with like mixed martial arts. Okay, okay. And David Mamet clearly has a passion for it and wants us to share in it. And it's like just make a documentary or write a book uh, because yeah. you're—he was trying to weave an actual like one of his David Mamet type plots into it. Yeah. With like, ooh, there's backstabbing and all that sort of thing and there's a couple good scenes and a couple good performances but for the most part it's just and then it's just ruined by the most hollywoodish of endings ever. i know ever ever <laughs> more hollywood than hollywood i would say <laughs> i mean it's just it's so it's it's really bad and well, uh and it started i i had high hopes for it and uh and it dashed them quite expertly um. so <laughs> So those were my least well, favorite. I, I, of the I, don't, I guess I should t- talk for at least a second about Synecdoche, about oh, why sure, I didn't sure. like it. Uh, and uh, you know, I'll I, I wrote a blog about it. And, uh, you guys can go to the blog and read in, in depth. But mostly, it has to do with the fact that it's completely self indulgent, which is kind of, can be okay. Yeah. If you find if you find something with your, uh, you know, if you're an auteur and you're and you find something that's very personal to you, but that can be relatable to other people, mm-hmm. you know, that makes uh, that makes for a good movie, but I don't see. There's nothing in Synecdoche for me at all. Yeah. It, it's it seems like it's all just for Charlie Kaufman and his and his ego and his narcissism yeah. and his the his depression, which is also just a, a form of narcissism anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you mean his depression or depression in general? Uh, as someone, uh, I feel like you know, like like Jewish people who are like, no, I can make Jewish jokes. Okay, that's how I feel uh, like. I've spent enough of my time being depressed that okay. I can chalk it up to narcissism enough, to some to, to to some extent. Okay, um, yeah, uh, and as you and as you mentioned in your blog, which I do recommend people go read because 
you make an interesting argument, which is all the reasons that you don't like it, somebody could cite the exact same reasons yeah. and say that they like it. Yeah, because know? it is a very personal film. Yeah. And so it might speak directly to someone, and I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't really combat that. And, you know, that is another movie that I did want to see, and some people, really, some people predicted that I would really like it, and so I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to, to see it, but it just I wasn't able to get it in time. But, uh, but anyway, so uh, before we move on to the actual top ten, we wanted to mention, just do some honorable mentions, movies that yeah. didn't quite make it into the top ten, but we still liked. And they're not necessarily, like, I've got five honorable mentions that I'm going to blow through, but it's, okay. not, it's not like their numbers 11 through 15. Right. They're, they come through from all over the list, just that I think they, they should stand out for some reason. Yeah. So I'll start, actually, with uh, a film I just recently saw Okay. Um, that uh, I, I don't want to talk too grandly about because uh, our our friend Wyatt <laughs> is in it. Yeah. Uh, Wyatt Snack, uh, friend of the show. Yeah. Um. I say our friend. Our I, good I, buddy. I, yeah, I've hung out with him like once, and yeah. then we recorded with him. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> I, I just don't want to like to get back to like you know this motherfucker over here that you've met twice in your <laughs> life is calling you his friend. No, I mean I meant I meant friend of the show. Um, it's uh, medicine for melancholy. Yeah, is did I did I just mumble my way through that medicine for melancholy? Uh, I think you I think you said it a little fast, but that's yeah. all right. That's all right. People are used to it at this point. And it's um, I don't know. It's. <laughs> It, this this brings me up. Every time someone makes a movie that people say is mumblecore, but it's good, like that's like a qualification. Like right. it's a mumblecore movie, but it's good. It's, yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, you know, maybe there are good mumblecore movies out there, and I didn't. I mean, there's Quiet City. Yeah, you know, uh, directed by our friend, our our good friend, <laughs> our, our best pal, Aaron Katz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and and so Medicine for Melancholy is the is a, it's, it's sort of got a like a before sunrise type of plot it's a mm. man and a woman walking through a city for an extended period of time in this case it's maybe about like 36 hours or so yeah uh I mean, no just a little over 24 hours and it's but the city is san francisco and um the the spin on it that makes it different than before sunrise is that both the characters are black and yeah. a great deal of their conversation is about uh being black in san francisco and in a way being being black in the modern american city because yeah. Uh, gentrification is not just happening in San Francisco. It's happening in every, even somewhat major metropolis in the country right now. You right. know, uh, minorities are, especially poor minorities, are being pushed out yeah. of of every city. I yeah, uh, the stuff that I've read about it, it sounds great. Uh, I maybe not great, but it certainly sounds like the kind of movie that I would like. Yeah, um, because it's intelligent, sensitive characters just talking. You know, and that kind of thing appeals to me immensely. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and it's, I'm excited for, for Wyatt. Yeah. And, yeah, Wyatt, uh, and the, her name is Tracy Higgins. They, they both have, both the actors have, have great little moments. They keep it from being just like a sort of polemic of them just talking about gentrification for an hour and a half. Right. right. You know, they have great little, like, very characterish moments, you yeah. know, that, that, that make it, that make it a movie as opposed to an essay. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, that's, yeah, that is, uh, that's important. And I'll talk more about that, uh, as we, continue down our top 10 um my you know i'll I'll let you go with yours because the thing about my honorable mentions many of them could be on your top 10 so i don't want to go into a lot of detail i don't think any of mine are in your top 10 okay so i just want to mention uh a lot of these uh, these are honorable mentions movies that i think maybe people didn't see that okay you know so they're not necessarily the greatest movies but things that are worth seeing Mm -hmm. um so i'll mention two documentaries one of them is called boogeyman the lee atwater story okay um Lee Atwater was like to like the first Bush yeah what Carl Rove was right. to 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 W 
Um, and uh, it's a fan, it's a fascinating movie because it's it's clear that the the filmmaker is uh, coming from the left and is yeah. not a fan of this guy. But what he does is instead of just interviewing people that are going to tear him apart, he interviews the guy's friends. And it's it's almost every talking head in the movie is a Republican hmm. or it was a friend of Karl Rove, and it like manages to Lee Atwater. You mean? Yeah, Lee, Lee Atwater is what okay. I meant to say. Thank you. Sorry. Um, and it, I mean, it it really does a great job of making you see this guy's. You get such a great view of this guy's character and how awful he could be. Yeah. You know, uh, but that's that's the sort of the original conceit of the movie is to talk specific almost almost exclusively to people who knew and liked him. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I heard that it was great, and uh, and also just there are certain aspects to Lee Atwater's life about like illnesses that he got that is yeah. just uh, you know some reviews that were not very kind to uh-huh. Lee Atwater. So it's like, oh, finally his uh, outside matched his inside, and it's like, oh, oh well, that seems a little mean. Yeah. But uh that seems like something Lee Atwater would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we're talking. <laughs> uh the other documentary is Dear Zachary. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Which is it just it happens sometimes like with uh like with Capturing the Freedmans where someone decides to make a documentary and they stumble upon a story that's such a great like almost just a perfect narrative that you yeah. uh, you know it it could have been written but it wouldn't have been as good. And that's mm-hmm. what happened. I, I don't want to give anything away about Dear Zachary, but just check it out. It's uh uh it's uh, it's uh, emotionally just uh, devastating. Hmm. I know that's that's kind of a hack phrase, but uh, you know what? It's it, it's fine. Yeah, it 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 tore me to pieces, but uh, it's amazing. Okay, now you did, there, there was another documentary that you wrote a blog about recently that uh, you really loved, but you weren't sure where how to categorize it. Right? What was the, something about grain that I don't recall? That wasn't a documentary. That was a oh, that was just a, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. It was a, just a straightforward narrative. Yeah, film. Okay, I'm the sorry. secret of the grain. The yeah. secret of the grain. Highly okay. recommended. But read the blog. Okay. Um, okay. My other category. So that was my documentary category. My other category of honorable mention is horror films. Okay. And we've talked about Midnight Me Train. I don't need to go into it, but yeah. it's it's not the greatest movie ever made, but it's worth watching. It is cool. You know, as far as. I'll, uh, that was actually going to be one of my honorable honorable mentions, and I wasn't sure if it was going to be in your top ten because you're unpredictable that way, David. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, as far as like modern like horror movies of the last eight nine years, uh, Midnight Meat Train is one that has stuck with me. Yeah, I mean, granted, I only saw it a couple months ago, but it's like Slither. It's like you yeah. know some of the others where it's just it just so it's so committed to just being what it is. Yeah, and it well, it manages to to really translate the authentic Clive Barker weirdness. Yeah, you know, in addition to does. just being like dark and scary and bloody, like a lot of horror films, there's just an undercurrent yeah. uh, of of weirdness that that keeps it that keeps you kind of on your on your toes. Because yeah, because you watch the movie, and and I won't give anything specific away, but you watch the movie, and it's basically this guy who kills people on a subway uh-huh. after midnight. Um, and and you're like, oh, well, that's uh, that's a very straightforward film, and it's really horrifying the way he kills these people. And then, come to find out, the explanation is even worse. Yeah. And even as David was saying, just that kind of weird, like, wow, what kind of horrible person came up with this? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it immensely because it's just, it, it's, it's, 
it's the kind of horror movie it has a it clearly has a strong sense of humor, but it knows when to be serious. Yeah, it's a weird mix because I went in expecting, you know, just this tongue in cheek, fun kind of goofy grindhouse type film, uh-huh. and there certainly is that, but it's not only that. Like there are the main character, like, and his relationship with his girlfriend and stuff, like. There's some strong emotions there, and they don't they don't harp on it too hard or anything like that. I mean, that's not why you go see the film, and they mm-hmm. know that. But they know that if you don't buy that and the seriousness of the situation, you're not then you're not going to buy any of it. Yeah. And it really it's it's a movie that really stuck with me. It's yeah. currently number twenty on my list, but I really <laughs> enjoyed it. Um, my other horror movie that I think um, uh, people should see if they didn't is Quarantine with Jennifer Carpenter. Just okay. that, you know, it's not groundbreaking in any way, but it's just a really it's 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 lean and it's uh, uh, it's scary mm-hmm. uh, and it's cool. Okay. Um, so. Yeah, and I think you've mentioned you talked about yeah. that uh, on another episode. Um, yeah, uh, the really the only I guess I'll mention a couple. Uh, one of them I don't. I'm not sure if you've seen, but uh, I will mention uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I liked okay. that. That that movie stayed in my top ten way longer than I expected it to. Uh-huh. I really, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, it's just, you know, it's that Judd Apatow thing where there's raunchy moments and there's moments, there are entire characters that really don't belong in the film, but they add a certain degree of flavor to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, wa- it wound up just being very, you know, like... I'd say it's closer to 40-year-old virgin than it is to uh, Knocked Up, but just there's just a sweetness to it. And How do you really, mean that? Um, I don't... I don't because uh, when I think of... When I think of 40-year-old virgin, I think of the main character as somebody who's actually... He's kind of sweet. He may be kind of childlike, but he's he's a genuinely good guy. Okay. When I think of Seth Rogen and Knocked Up... He's a nice guy and he's kind of charismatic, but he doesn't seem like a like a sweet guy. He seems very selfish. And yeah. I think Steve Carell, I think he is absolutely willing to be a giving person. Yeah. Um and 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 uh, Jason Segel's character Not to bring up re-bring up the the whole knocked up versus 40-year-old virgin debate that people okay. have, but don't yeah. you think that Seth Rogen's character is there are more people like that in the real world than there are in Steve Steve Carell's character? Um quite possibly. I mean, I I am not really sure. And I, think, I I prefer knocked up to 40-year-old virgin. It right. seemed like you were saying the opposite. Oh, um yeah, I would say I'd uh, I don't know. I I think I pre- I think I prefer 40-year-old virgin. Okay. Um but just but mostly for structural uh, elements in Knocked Up, where okay. a character the character matures very quickly yeah. when the plot needs him to. And um, he says he gets an apartment on the east side, and they leave Cedar Sinai and drive <laughs> up the coast. Yeah, seems a little strange to That's me. Weird. And then a guy, the guy who never has had a job suddenly deci- like he wills a job into existence <laughs> that he has now. Um, that's anyway, but, uh, it's like registering for the draft. It's like, <laughs> I'm ready to have a job now. And they're like, Oh good. We've held this one for quite a <laughs> longer than we should have really. Um, but, uh, the character, the main character in forgetting Sarah Marshall, he's a nice blend of the two. Okay. You, he does seem like kind of, kind of slovenly and you just, and isn't really going anywhere with his life, but he is clearly an intelligent, sensitive person who is, who has been mistreated, but the film also is smart enough not to condemn the person that mistreated him, mm-hmm. um, nor condemn the person that has stolen her away. Like it's just everybody in the film is treated 
fairly like actual human pe- uh, characters. I mean, it's it it's it's not a perfect film, but it has moments of hilarity and also moments of of uh, of tenderness that are mm-hmm. that are very good. Um, the other honorable mention that I will that I will say is uh, uh, Trans Siberian. Oh, I almost put that in my honorable, mention, honorable okay. mentions too. I. Uh, I enjoyed it immensely, and I'll I'll probably be talking about it again next week, honestly. Um, but it's just it's just a nice little thriller. Oh yeah, because next week we're gonna do like we did last year. Yeah, we're doing favorite films this year th- this week. Next week will be individual achievements yeah. in film. Yeah. Uh, um, and so, but without going into too much detail, the structure of Trans Siberian is it's so fascinating because you really ne- it's. I'm sure I'm not the first one to compare it to like a Hitchcock film in the sense that you really never know what happened. Like characters will be gone Uh and then you don't know if they're dead. You don't know if they're still around. And then and then the truth comes out and you're like, ah, okay. Oddly enough, I still don't feel very good. Like it's just. It's like uh, the knowing actually is worse than not knowing in this instance. Yeah, um, and I love Woody Harrelson in it too. He's he, really good because he's he's a guy who has such a uh, very vibrant personality off screen. Yeah. You know uh, that you sort of think of him as like that's his character, that's who he right. is. You know, and you forget that he can actually act, and he's yeah. he's really good in that movie. And he's given an interesting role for a guy. He's given essentially the girlfriend role that you see in yeah. in in scores of movies. Yeah, you know. Uh, and that's, but it's it's the the, the genders are switched. I, we'll talk about it next week, I guess, uh, because I really love that movie. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Everybody should go and see Trans Siberian. It's really it, it's because I went in expecting one thing, and then it turned out to be certainly it was the thriller that I thought it would be. But it, there's some deep emotional resonance that's that's really great. So I suggest uh, I suggest you see it. All right, so, well, let's get started. All right then. Um, Our top ten. Now okay. this is of course top ten favorite. Please yeah. note, and you will please keep that in mind as we go through mine. Okay, <laughs> and so. I'm gonna I'm gonna go before you are because I think I kind of on the 100th episode might have given up the ghost as to at least narrowed it down to two as to what my favorite movies yeah. were. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's interesting. Before we get into it, this year, uh, someone else I want to say it was Ella Taylor or some uh, like for the LA Weekly or some some critic was talking about how uh, you know in if you look at like last year. You kind of you could almost like predict what the top few movies were going to be from any critic. Yeah, you know. Yeah, this year is different. Like there are some good films, but it's all over the place. I, I, yeah. I, I guarantee I have stuff that you never would have considered being on your list. Uh, I probably I'd vice say, versa. Yeah. Um, and I'll start with one of those that I doubt is on in, in your top ten. Okay. But my number ten favorite movie of the year was Role Models, <laughs> which you know I didn't see, but I really wanted to. It's 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 the it's. It's a really great movie, but it's it's also the funniest movie of the year with okay. with Step Brothers being a close second. But Step Brothers is not a well made film at all, so it could make right. the, make the list. But it is the second funniest movie of the year. Okay. The funniest is Role Models, but it's okay. also just an awesome movie uh, about I don't know I, 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 about guys, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, I I like the uh, it doesn't they're they're kind of losers. Yeah. You know, in, in in a way that's uh, that's really addressed uh, more honestly, I think, than even in like the like you, you, we talked about knocked up and have right. how 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 quickly the resolution comes. Like he just grows up all of a sudden, you yeah. know, and then you can kind of forgive him. Like uh, role models is, I think, a little bit more honest about the fact that these guys are pushing thirty. Yeah, 
and they're kind of just fucking losers, hmm. you know? And uh, they have, uh, by the end of the movie, they have the potential for growth, yeah. you know, but you don't see it happen, you know, like, like in, like in Knocked Up. It doesn't just, yeah. they don't just grow up and everything's okay. Like they they have, they have an uphill battle because right. they're, they're <laughs> but, childish and, and losers. But the arc comes from the, like the fact that they now are in a position emotionally to do better. Yes. Or do more with their lives. Like, yes. That's the hopeful element. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And probably a much more realistic one, frankly. Yeah. So. And, um, but it also, it, it does a good job of mixing. A lot of the comedy, um, is realistic and comes from the situation and characters, but it also, it, this, these are the guys who did the state and there's a lot of little jokes in there that yeah. are just insane and weird. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it, and it does a great job of blending them. So okay. uh, that's role models number ten. Your number ten. I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't see it. Yeah, well, you'll you'll see it. Uh, my number ten is Revolutionary Road. Okay. Um, now that is higher on your list, if I'm not mistaken. So should we wait? Uh, let's wait. Okay. Then, so uh, your number nine. My number nine, and this is one that uh, well, as you can see, it's number nine. It, it it's barely in the top ten. Yeah. Uh, and it's one I would have mentioned next week in individual performances if it hadn't made it in here. And that's I've loved you so long. Okay. With Chris and Scott Thomas. I didn't see that one either. Um, <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Maybe this episode won't be so long. Yeah. So, go on. Um, and it's a movie. Uh, we had well, we had two movies this year uh, that were like this. Um, we probably might end up talking about another one later. Um, but it's essentially a good movie with a great performance. Yeah, that's great with two syllables. <laughs> like that's that's like great. Frosted Flakes. Yes. Great. Great. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, some uh, occasionally the film frustrated me, frustrated me by by making. Or, or sort of taking the obvious road with the story, you know. Yeah. But uh, well, what is the story about? I know very little about it. Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas plays a woman who um, I don't want to give too much away because um, you don't. You sort of find out things about this as the story as the movie goes on. Mm-hmm. But she's just gotten out of prison. She's been in prison for fifteen years. Yeah, and she goes to move in with her much younger sister, who is her si- her sister was maybe like ten or so when she went away. Oh, you okay. know. So, um, uh, th- I don't really want to give, it's, right, it's yeah. about her sort of just who becoming she is reacclimated and, to society and yeah. And whether or not she can, okay. you know, it, it's, it's not in any way directly a film about the experience of, of incarceration, right. you know, but that's, uh, that can't help but inform it, you know, yeah. how, how that changes the person. Does it ever say what she was put away for? It or? does, but okay. I, I, yeah, I don't want to, okay. yeah, I don't want to go into it. All right. Um, and yeah. It's a th- that's the main reason to see it uh, is if if you like good acting, yeah. then you're you're gonna want to watch it because even when it makes these choices that I think were, are a little obvious, you know, are a little too pat, mm-hmm. uh, my uh, I I'm still able to suspend my disbelief because Kristen Scott Thomas keeps me in the movie the whole time. Well, and I, I I'm a big fan of Kristen Scott Thomas, and I know you are as well. Yeah. But I feel like she isn't really given much to do very often. Like uh, she she's always given. You know, good parts, but like when I think of Kristen Scott Thomas, I think of Gosford Park, like just a very proper, uh, upscale, yeah. probably condescending, uh, you know, British woman. Just yeah. like that's what I think of. Yeah. And she, but she was, you know, she was really good in the English English Patient, and and uh, and I'd wanted to see, uh, you know, I've loved you so long because I because I've heard that yeah, the movie's good, not, nothing special, but she really just does the most, but. To the film's credit and the writer's credit, 
there's a strong character in here. Oh, definitely. That, yeah. That and, the, and to her credit, I mean, she brings yeah, a lot out. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, she's, and this is also, she's British, but this is a French film and she yeah. plays a French character and she speaks fluent French. Nice. Uh, which I, uh, I've never, I, I, guess, I guess she's done this a lot. I've never seen any of her other French films, hmm. but, um, she is a woman who apparently speaks both languages fluently and does I a lot of French film. I don't know if I like the idea of that, frankly. Your number nine. My number nine, similar to your number nine. My number nine is The Wrestler. That's the other one I was talking about. Okay. Which uh, came in at number 11 for me this number year. Number 11. So, okay. uh, um, yeah, I uh, I watched it yesterday, and it really... Here's the thing. A lot of people have been slamming the film itself, and then they say it's like oh but mickey rourke is great the film is pretty well made for the most part i think darren aronofsky yeah there okay yeah i don't know i I have some major problems as as oh um i have major problems with him as a filmmaker yeah Um, but with well well, let's okay you you say what's good about the wrestler and i'll tell you what's bad i didn't like okay (laughs) um one of the things okay well first off yes all right mickey rourke everything you've heard about his performance is not you know what not only is it true Everything you've heard isn't even close uh-huh. to what he actually is doing. I've it's been a long time. I cannot imagine a. Uh, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a performance that is so fearless. I mean, he just he basically he plays this. If you don't know, he plays this wrestler whose glory days are far behind him, probably because he made some very bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just and because the character. I mean, he, his life is physical, you know, yeah. and as such, you see, you see every aspect of this character. I mean, you see, like, there's a shot, there's a scene that starts with a close-up shot of Mickey Rourke's ass, <laughs> and you're like, what is that? Ah! And then, <laughs> and it's because he's injecting himself with something, Yeah. and then you see him, you know, you see him, like, Doing the, getting his hair dyed and like going to the tanning salon, like now that's that's not necessarily a function of the performance, but like there are moments where the char- because the character is very charismatic. I uh-huh. mean, he oh, yeah. there's a reason that he like was so successful. It's not just because he has the skill, the wrestling skills and the physicality, but you know if if you watched wrestling when you were growing up, like I did, uh-huh. um, you know you remember like people like Hulk Hogan. There's a reason that they were that everybody loved them and it's because they had yeah. a great deal of charisma and you see that come out in scene even scenes where <laughs> he has just gotten a job at the deli counter yeah and is like having fun with it and he just it's little things like and i don't know how much of this was improv it feels like all, all of it was yeah. but you don't really know because it fits the character so well yeah hey spring chicken i <laughs> love that there's a, that's my favorite because it that's that's the note it ends on is he just keeps he gives all the customers like little nicknames and then an, and then an old woman walks up and she's got to be like in her 80s uh-huh. and he's like how you doing spring chicken <laughs> and it's just moments but, um, like that are just so in his performance he's just so in the character, I mean everything. I mean, I, I I did not study acting, but like I have my own classification of acting, uh-huh. and the top the 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 top tier of acting is when you're no longer saying like, oh, that's a good performance. You just believe that character. I didn't think of Mickey Rourke. I didn't think yeah. of hey, that's that guy who played uh, Marv in Sin City, or that's that guy that it's like, oh wow, he's really redeeming himself. 
you just think it's Randy the Ram Robinson. Yeah. I mean, it's just you believe everything about that character. And I would say a similar, uh, it's a similar thing to uh, Marissa Tomei, who just doesn't try to over in her performance does not try to over explain her character. She just yeah. is. Yeah, she's great um, too. What but, do you think of Evan Rachel Wood in the movie? A lot of people are saying that she's a, a weak part. I, I thought she I might she not be a strong part, but I thought she was... You know what? She's got three scenes. Yeah. And she does fine in them. I mean, and she has to be... And I think that's... here. Here's one of the things that I like about the movie is there's what it could have been and there's what it is. It is very similar to the film Rocky. Mm-hmm. All right? Uh, not, no, everybody has said that. But what I like about it is that there are, mo- like Rocky, in spite of the fact that at the beginning of the film he is an enforcer for the mob, which is pretty bad, uh-huh. clearly he's not into that, he doesn't want to be doing it, and at heart he's a decent guy. Randy is not really that decent of a guy. No. He may be kind of a good-hearted guy, but you understand, but like, it's clear from the choices that he makes in the film, like, there's a reason that he fell out of favor, and yeah. there's a reason that his daughter doesn't want to talk to him. There's a reason that that he is best when he's in the ring and it's because he just makes a lot of really bad decisions and he is and I mean it could have gone the route of oh this guy's lived hard but hey he's ready to make a difference so let's as an audience forgive him for everything he's done and he does want to do the right thing but he he doesn't a lot of the time yeah and it's a to me it's a, a testament to the to the writing of the film and I'd say the directing and the and the acting just the whole thing that the note that it ends on it ends on a triumphant note but I don't know how triumphant it actually is no yeah exactly like it ends with uh, I mean it ends with him I mean he has one last or maybe it's his last you don't know um, one last big fight but he in choosing to do that fight to take part in that fight he he has to sacrifice other things and you're not really sure if he should be doing that. Yeah. Like it's, and that's one of the things that I like is, and also I think the, the actual choreography of the matches are, is done really well and it's edited and those moments are edited pretty well, I think. Um, and so just in general, it's, it's not a perfect film and the story is kind of flawed, but it's biggest strength is that it creates, like I was saying with, with, I've loved you so long, which I haven't seen, but like it for all its faults as a script, it knows that it's like, we've got a great character here. Let's just, let's just play to that. Let's just keep playing to that. So that's, so that's what I like about it. I'm not saying it's a perfect film, but it's more than just a good couple of performances. Well, before I get into what I don't like, I want to, you mentioned earlier that, uh, about Randy having, you know, the skills as a wrestler. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that this movie will at least put some rest to this idea that wrestling is fake. Because right. wrestling might be choreographed or staged or whatever, right. but it's not fake. It's, yeah. it's clearly quite taxing, uh, and these people have to be strong and athletic to do it. There are moments so. in the film where there's where it's like, hey, here's a fight with some gimmicks to it. And those gimmicks are horrifying. It's yeah. really, it's hard to watch at yeah. times. But yeah, just... I don't know. I, I don't. I, I I don't care about pro wrestling at all. Right. But when people say it's fake, I kind of feel like sticking up for these. They're not actors. I mean, they do. They are to some extent actors, yeah. but they're athletes as well. It's like yes, it may be predetermined, yeah. but somebody still has to do this. Yeah, someone still has to fall through a table or whatever. Yeah. But as far as what I don't like about it, it's just that occasionally Darren Aronofsky and his Darren Aronofskiness <laughs> gets in the way and yeah. it becomes too movieish. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, like the 
the the girl with all the like with like the fireman fetish like i was like that didn't need to be and like seems right. like it seems like movie type of quirky yeah. you know and then there's the one part i don't know this might be a slight spoiler but not really um when he's going to work in the deli and mm-hmm. he's walking through oh, the grocery yeah. store yeah and it's clearly the camera is behind him just like it was earlier in the film when he's walking towards the ring yeah you know and it's clearly meant to echo that and i was like oh that's a good decision yeah but then aronofsky puts the sound of the crowd cheering yeah. over that which clearly there's no crowd cheering for him at the, at the grocery store and it's like right. that went from being you know potentially poignant to just yeah. being like are you making fun of him what what did you, what did you mean to do with that? exactly like if they had, if he had left the if it's like if he had kept the shot and left the crowd out yeah it would have been powerful yeah and now you've made it ambiguous and i don't know what you mean by this yeah it seems like yeah. you're kind of making fun of him that's kind of what i came with, with yeah it's uh but but i wound up really enjoying it and and really you know tearing up at places uh it really it That's just, weird. I usually I'm, I, I cry more than you do, and I don't think I cried at the wrestler at all. Just, I mean, just moment. Just he has some really good moments, like moments. Uh, it's usually when he is crying, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's just a great performance in which uh, the actor is willing to expose himself, both in this case physically and emotionally. Mm-hmm. I'm right there with him, and if he's crying, I probably will too. Yeah. So, uh, so that's so. There's the wrestler. Okay. Number eight for me is Revolutionary Road. Which okay. Is your number ten, but we still we don't really have to talk about this that much because I mean I'd like to hear what you have to say about it because okay. two weeks ago when we talked about it with with Matt right, and right. Joel, um, Matt got me to talk at a great length about it. So right, right. I, I kind of feel I would I would only be repeating myself if I really okay. talked about what I liked about the film. So I'd like to hear what you like about it. Uh. I do not consider it to be uh, a perfect film. Um, there are certain, you know, I, there's there's Sam Mendes isms uh, <laughs> that that I don't care for, but um, uh, but I think the acting is is really solid and and you know a lot of the I don't mean to make Matt Belknap our scapegoat or anything, but a lot of the uh, he has stated both on our show and on. Um, and on Never Not Funny, his show, uh, he's commented some of the stuff he doesn't like about it, that it starts with a fight and then they just continue fighting. And it's like, well, that's that's not actually true. It yeah, because the, the, it starts with a fight, but then kind of the first half of the movie, they're kind of doing okay. Yeah. I mean, they're very, they're excited. They're, they're excited to be married to each other. They're excited about, you know, what the future holds. And then they fall back into the old routine. And because... You see the big fight, and then you see them doing well, and then you see them edging towards what they, what we have seen before. You're like, oh, it makes it so much more tragic yeah. that they're headed that direction. Well, um, maybe I'm a pessimist because I never really believed that they were going to be okay. Oh, no, well, I knew, <laughs> I knew they weren't going to be okay based on what I had heard, but also just, you just know that it's like, eh, I just have a feeling this is not going to be the story of a happy couple. Yeah, that ends happily. Um, but well, since we talked about the film so much two weeks ago, uh, well, you have more to say. One last thing, okay? Which is, uh, I, I'm sorry, two last things. One is that the film does not feel like an indictment of marriage until the end, when we see Kathy Bates talking to her husband, and then the 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 last uh, shot of the film. Yeah, and then you see that's like, 
oh, I get it. They're maybe they're all like this, or or maybe who knows? Maybe it's him saying, "Hey, you just find a way to cope. This is how this character copes." Yeah, because we certainly get with um, the neighbors, um, who are my favorite characters in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't. They seem to be doing okay, uh, with I mean, the exception of of what the the thing that I won't say. Yeah. <sighs> I wish we could say it because I want to get into an <laughs> argument here. Oh, okay. Um, but the uh, but the other thing that I wanted to say is uh, Michael Shannon is great, and what's more, this is kind of a weird thing to say. If ever Christopher Nolan wanted to bring back the Joker and continue <laughs> n- and not have somebody mimic Heath Ledger's performance, but perhaps echo it a little bit, Michael Shannon would be great. Yeah, that's a good like a he good just. Point. His he's doing some really. I'm now that I've seen it. Not that I was un. Not that I was not pleased with his nomination before. Now I see it. And it's like he really is great. That's a hard character to play, and kind of unnecessary in general. Um, and he's and he says a lot of on the nose things. There's a lot of thing. There's a lot of challenges to an actor playing that role. Yeah, and he manages to take those challenges and turn them into strengths of the character. Yeah. He's great. He had a line. Oh God, I hate that we can't spoil these at all. I but know. he he had a line that made the entire theater gasp. Was uh, it his his, last his exit line? line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was rough. Yeah, but uh, God, I wish I could argue about the neighbors with you right now. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, but I do want to mention. Okay, well, first off, one thing that I didn't like about the movie, okay, is that slow motion shot of Leo running down the street. That was a big eye roll moment for me. Yeah, that was not necessary. Yeah, I but, think um, that's a Mendesism right there. Yeah. But I also want to give props to Catherine Hahn, the uh, the neighbor, the, oh, the yeah. wife neighbor. She's great in the movie, and she was hilarious in Step Brothers. <laughs> and uh, I, I hope to see a lot more of her. Yeah, uh, this was a, a good year for her. And then I believe the guy who played the neighbor husband, I think I saw him in something else. I I think he might have been in The Wrestler oh, briefly. Really? Um, and I don't remember his name, but he, I thought he did. The, the acting was very solid all around. Um, there is a moment when Kate Winslet is kind of doing a Stepford wife kind of thing, a little perhaps too obviously. But aside from yeah. that, I don't think that's her decision, frankly. Um, I think I think that's within the realm of the character. Oh, God, I hope the people listening have seen this movie. I know, I know. Well, actually, I hope they haven't, because if they have seen it, they're probably frustrated. Like, just fucking talk about what's yeah, going on. Yeah, sorry, everybody. But, uh, but yeah, I wound up really enjoying it more than uh, more than I thought I uh, I would. So, uh, so that's... Yeah, this movie, it's, it's, it's pretty deep in our lists, mm-hmm. our top ten lists. But I've probably talked about this movie with people more yeah. than any other movie this year. Like, it's it's... Inspired well, of, so much conversation. Well, so many people are just willing to focus on the depressing elements of it, uh-huh. um, and just say like, "Yeah, what a, what did I learn from that?" It's it started depressing and it ended depressing. It's like, yeah, look at the stuff in the middle. Yeah. Like it, it you know, because in the mi- it doesn't, it's not depressing all the way through. And what's more is there are things you can glean from it. Like it's like you know, the once I got out, I was like. I think because uh, my wife is out of town right now. I'm like, I think I just need to call her and tell her <laughs> I love her so much. Um, All right, what's your what's your number eight? My number eight is Grand Torino. Oh, good. That didn't make my top ten, so I'm glad we get to talk about it. It did or it didn't? It did not. It did not. Um, and, you know, it's, again, this is, a lot of the films on my list are not perfect films. Grand Torino is a good example of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just... The, 
Clint Eastwood's acting is very solid. Not many other people's is. I mean, yeah, but I'm, I don't know. I, I'm okay with that. I, I because there there's a reason you use non actors. Yeah, and it's for a it's a different type of authenticity, you know. And I'm a fan of Vittorio De Sica and uh, yeah. and Robert Brisson and yeah. stuff like that. I I get it, and I, and I think it works in this movie. It didn't bo- it didn't actually bother me that much, but I know that some people, like the people I went and went to see it with, it bothered them a lot. Mm-hmm. And I and it I was like, oh. Yeah, I guess I guess they weren't that great. Like it just it didn't. Yeah, but there's a different I, type of authenticity. Yeah, I didn't Let me repeat myself. Yeah, I didn't Sorry. think about it uh, while the film was going on, or really after I saw it. It's just something that I that I wanted to say to those who haven't seen it yet. Just be prepared for that, or just hopefully you watch it and just let yourself forget it. Yeah, if you even notice in the first place. Um, and also, you know the there's problems with the script. I mean, in the fir- pro- especially in the first fifteen twenty minutes where they feel the need to expose everything, where there's just a lot of expository dialogue that doesn't need to happen, and a lot of heavy-handed moments. And there's heavy-handed moments throughout. Mm-hmm. But Clint Eastwood's, the character and his performance is so, so solid. Like, it's just... And the theme of the film, th- that's the thing about loving this movie as much as I do. It's a movie that if I had not seen any other Clint Eastwood films, I don't know if it would have had the same resonance. Oh, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. It's... what One of the reasons that I love it so much is because it's set up to be like the old Clint Eastwood that everybody loves. You know, the dirty, hairy man, he's going to get those guys. You look at the trailer, and it has that feel to it, like, oh, this is going to be... He's going to get them. Uh-huh. And, and without without spoiling it, I'll just say that the the film does not take it it sets it up to go that direction and then it does not it's ultimately a film that advocates for lack of a better word peace or at least nonviolence yeah and what excites me about it is it was number 1 at the box office when it came out yeah and then it was number 2 it stayed in the top 10 for a very long time i went and saw it at the you know kind of the crappy theater by my house and it was a full theater of just regular people, non-hipsters. Yeah. A full theater went and saw this film thinking it would be one thing, turned out it was another, and they applauded at the end. Oh, that's cool. It just, I just, so, like, I so love how committed Clint Eastwood as a director has been to destroying everything that his career was built on. <laughs> it's in just, a good way. In a good way. Yeah. Like, he he and clearly this is, has... Uh, I, Maybe arguably, but I think this is his, probably his most personal film as a director. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, he really is just, and, and so that's the thing is, a lot of the stuff that I've said has to do with stuff outside the film, but he couldn't have made this film 20 years ago, and it's a film that he is counting on you having, having seen his other films. Yeah. It, that's the thing, is it's just, it's a movie that has just as much to do with stuff not in the movie as it does stuff in the movie. As strange as that sounds, and yeah. Clint Eastwood had he had to have known that as a director, he knew what people were thinking as they went in, um, and he in fact not only did he know it, he was counting on it. He was counting on people's expectations of him, and it's just it was so it's just such a complex film as far as its themes and its goals and its execution that I'm willing to overlook its flaws. Yeah, um, it has. 
Yeah. There was so. one big thing at the end, big heavy-handed moment at the end. Yeah. Uh, that really, really turned me off, and I'm, I, I was upset that it had to happen at the end because I had to leave with that in my right in my mouth. But uh, yeah. But so, like I said, it's not perfect, but I really like it. That seems to be a, a recurring theme this year. With a lot of movies. There were very few movies that are that are just going to blow you out of the water the way that the way that a No Country or or, yeah. or There Will Be Blood did. But uh, let's move on to my number seven. Okay. Uh, which is a movie that I had heard great things about. It was as great as I had heard it would be, okay. but in ways that I didn't expect. Okay. And that's Let the Right One In. All right, which I really wanted to see. I'm sorry, I, David. I haven't seen any of the films on your <laughs> list. Um, I. Uh, you know, it's a Scandinavian vampire movie, mm-hmm. um, and I had thought, and from what I had heard, I had kind of gotten the impression that maybe it was going to be very sort of like broody and quiet and sort of artsy yeah. uh, horror movie, or at least vampire story, Yeah, and it is that, but it also has elements that are just really uh, cool. I don't know how, really rad, I don't know how to say. Rad like, is what you said when you first saw it. Yeah, it's a it's a really rad movie, and it has a lot of like uh, stuff that, that that's great for for the genre. You know, lots of uh, cool like you know gore and vampire stuff. Yeah. Uh, but at 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 its heart, just you know, like we talked about. Um, certainly, this is a better film than Midnight Meat Train. But you talked about how it doesn't it doesn't have to just try and hit the genre points and right. like give the audience what it wants. It has it's a real movie. You know, and I, I've let, and um, I've loved so long. Uh, let the right one in. I've got so many long titles. In my, I know. Uh, let the right one in is um, certain that it does that ten times better than Midnight yeah. Meat Train. Um, uh, yeah, that's and it's got it's got a it's got an ending that's open to interpretation, which I like. Okay. Um, and of course, me being me, I try to I tend to interpret things in the most like pessimistic <laughs> way possible. So I think it has a very dark and upsetting ending. Okay. Uh, where some people would say it has a I don't hopeful, know, yeah, hopeful or maybe even romantic ending. Hmm. Um, now, for those that don't know, because you know, who knows, we may have listeners that you know, because it's not a very high profile film. Uh, it's a vampire story, but like, what what makes this different than you know? Oh, some the, of the vampire others? is um, about uh, say like a twelve year old girl. Yeah. Um, not actually 12 of course that's that's the age she was when she became a vampire she's been yeah. around much longer than that yeah and there's uh, i wish this could, this could just be a big spoiler tag episode and we could just like say everything we want to say about the movies but then people wouldn't go see the that's I want people true. to go see these movies yeah. that, that they haven't, so we that's can't the, do that. That's the downside but, of of this episode every year is that it's like like you and I usually aren't that Spoilers aren't that big of a deal for us when we're talking about movies that came out 20 years ago, but like, yeah. eh, these are still in theaters, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, but definitely try and seek out Let the Right One In before yeah. the uh, American remake, which I'm not speculating here if that's happening, apparently. Yeah. apparently maybe it'll fall through like the Old Boy remake did. Oh, I'm yeah. hoping. Uh, so that's my number seven. Number seven. My number seven, again, not perfect. A lot of things wrong with it. Doubt. Okay, I didn't see it. Yeah. Um, so maybe, oh, you, maybe you want to talk about it for a few minutes. <laughs> Go get him, David. Um, yeah, so Doubt, it's, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there's, there are, you know, there's problems with the, the way it is shot. Uh, not horribly, it's, it's hard to explain, but like the, there's slanty angles to show you that everything is slanty angles. Ugh. I went to film school. I'm sorry. There's Dutch angles. Uh, 
<laughs> to show you that things are uh, show you things are askew. And then there's you know there's uh, moments where Philip Seymour Hoffman he plays a priest. He is giving a uh, a sermon, and uh, it's basically kind of this parable that he's telling. And uh, then we actually see like cutaways to the parable he's telling, and that's not necessary. But but the acting is again very solid, and I mean it was you know uh, I guess like it's four main characters. Each of them were nominated, and and rightfully so. I mean it's just it's one of those things where um, Meryl Streep is one of those actresses or you know one of those performers who you know is good and so you don't really think about how good she is and then you see her in something and you're like right now i remember why you're a freaking legend mm-hmm. and she just she does things with her character that you would never expect from from the accent that she uses which is you know kind of a new york accent and just which she nails right on the head just little little the way like the way she hits T's on the ends of words as as specific as that is she's got it she thought of it and and the character is just it's 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 really fascinatingly written because she is just this judgmental horrible woman and about halfway through I found myself and I don't know if if this is how it was supposed to be or if this is how it was for other people I can only go by my own uh, my own experience. Halfway through, I had this weird moment where I thought, "Oh no, what if she's the hero?" <laughs> like, it's just it's a weird it's a weird moment, especially when you see who the, who she is. You're just yeah. like, "Oh, I get it. She's the villain. He's the hero." And then halfway through, you're like, "Maybe there is no villain, and maybe there is no hero, but she's leaning towards heroism." She's not judgmental. She it just there's so many I mean it's it's appropriate that a film called Doubt would be so ambiguous yeah. throughout. Um and even the ending which could be somebody some people could look at it and say, "Oh, well definitely this is what happened." But not necessarily. Arguments can be made for for either, "Oh, he did do this or he didn't." Um and just the yeah, I mean Meryl Streep is is the strongest force in the film, but Philip Seymour Hoffman does a great job. I mean, he just he plays a character who is charismatic, he's young. You want to be on his side. You so badly want him to be right and her to be wrong based on not and not at all based on the evidence, based entirely on what you've seen of them. Mm-hmm. And it really it really brings the audience into it, like as if the audience is is another character, you know, that just sits and watches and tries to assess. But you're just as into this as the characters themselves. But like I said, it's, you know, if some, honestly, if the writer, if the writer slash playwright had not directed it, it probably could have been astonishing. Uh, But Mm -hmm. as of right now, the writing is solid and the acting is great. And, and and just thematically, I like so much of what it does, and that's why it's in my top ten. David, how you doing over there? I'm good. Sorry all to right. leave you for a couple minutes. There. This right. is, if this was just a normal hour long episode, I could have held it for the next five <laughs> minutes. But this this Gatorade is going right through me. All right, um, number six. Number six for me, I think, is higher on your list. So we'll talk about it later. But it's Wally. Wally, yes. All right. 
So that's your number six? Yes. All right, we'll talk about it later. Shoot. I'm sorry. I'm doing a lot of the talking here, David. That's um, okay. Uh, okay, well, not my number, and here, here comes some more. My number six is Happy Go Lucky. Oh, yeah, I didn't see it. Oh, boy. And I'm, I'm pissed that I didn't because I, I'm, I love Mike Lee, as I know you do. I love Mike Lee, and he just, he never ceases to amaze me. Um, there are some directors. I think like one of the first earliest films that you and I bonded on as film fan friends was Topsy Turvy. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Which which so is you, weird because you and I are Mike Lee fans from way back, way back. <laughs> um, and it's especially strange because Topsy Turvy is kind of uh, unusual for him. I mean, he yeah, it's very in a way, yeah. Or but at the same time, is absolutely him. Yeah. I mean, it's just he's. He's a brilliant filmmaker and a brilliant writer, um, and it's just there are some directors out there who who I like, like Robert Altman, who you can sense that they feel a certain degree of superiority to their characters. Mm, I yeah. would I would argue that you could make that argument. Uh, I would argue that you can make that argument. No, that works. Okay, um, about Sam Mendes and Revolutionary Road. Yeah, um, you could say that. I can see it. However, I have seldom seen a writer-director who loves his characters as much as Mike Lee. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's absolutely true and happy-go-lucky. Uh, it's basically just about this woman. She's a, his films are very seldom uh, plot-heavy. Um, it's basically about this uh, very upbeat woman who's a, like basically a kindergarten teacher, and it's just her going through life, uh, dealing with... Uh, family and friends um all of whom are much more downtrodden and they let life get to them and in that way i would and in a way i would compare it to the film harvey Mm. where there's a character (laughs) who elwood p dowd um there's a character who one of the greatest character names in history by the uh, way yes yes um (laughs) That's a great. That's it's a good movie. It's a great play. I was I I was lucky enough to be in it in high school, and uh, it's it's good stuff. Um, but the uh, and in that, it's this character who's just so positive that you're like that you yourself are like, oh, there's something wrong with this guy, but I still like him. Um, and everybody wants him to you know plant his feet on the ground and stop you know stop being so optimistic. In Happy Go Lucky. It takes that principle and it roots it in reality. There is nothing sprightly about this woman. And this is this is a, a tribute to Sally Hawkins' performance, who absolutely... I, I could mention her next week, but I'm not going to. I'm going to mention somebody else. Um, so I'll talk about her a little bit more right now. Sally Hawkins absolutely should have been nominated for an Oscar because she takes a character who, who on the page could have been played like she's she knows something that the rest of us don't or she's kind of otherworldly or just straight up annoying <laughs> but she plays a character for whom happiness is a choice you see moments of anger you see moments of frustration you see moments of confusion and she doesn't push those down or or she doesn't push them away she's not emotionally suppressing these She's just choosing to give them a place and see the other side of it. And it's really... And to take that character and make it real is 
it's it's a, a great choice as an actor or actress actor female actor as we uh, <laughs> as we mentioned all those episodes ago um and and yeah it's so it's just uh it's it's a film that argues that it's like yeah life really sucks a lot of the time for a lot of people some people worse than you but you can still you, there's always the option of be allowing yourself to be depressed by the circumstances of others um but she's she mentions in the film that she's just like well yes that is something but why not but i'm going to go and try and make other people's lives better and just by not reminding them of these things by being there for them in moments of sadness and anger but also trying to for lack of a better word cheer them up or at least help them cheer themselves up it's and that's the thing is everything i'm saying sounds a little wrong uh-huh. i can see that see the film but, and you'll understand yeah. what i'm talking about mike lee has an amazing ability to take things that don't seem right and make them completely right yeah and so I loved Happy Go Lucky, and I'll pro- I will probably mention it next week in a different category. So, okay, number five, we've we've broken the the halfway point now. Um, <laughs> oh my! <laughs> well, we had a bunch of stuff at the beginning. Yeah. Um, my number five, is, I could see it not being on your list at all, or being much higher on on your list. It's uh, Appaloosa. Appaloosa is number thirteen on my list. Okay. Um, I loved Appaloosa, and we talked. Yeah. Uh, again, I feel we did fairly w- extensively. About we did that way one. too much talking about new movies this year. We 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 should we should learn our lesson and not do that in 2009, so we can actually talk yeah. about them We're without repeating ourselves. Other things to talk about, <laughs> just about ourselves. So, um, what I did today, <laughs> but uh, I I love Appaloosa, and I uh, I here's I never saw Pollock, I never saw it, so I don't know. I liked it. Are, are the directorial styles similar? You know, I'll be honest with you. When I think of Pollock, I do not think of a, of a directorial style. Well, that's it's very straightforward. I really think of stylistic choices in Appaloosa. Okay, and I think it seems like maybe Ed Harris being in History of Violence a little bit of Cronenberg wore off on him hmm. because Appaloosa. Not that it has the you know phantasmagorical yeah. <laughs> aspects of a Cronenberg film, but it has that like complete lack of flash, yeah. but. Uh, complete confidence in every choice that's made yeah. that that Cronenberg has, and certainly Ed Harris is no Cronenberg as a director. Right, but uh, it's it was it's a really sure-footed film. It's it's uh, it's it's beyond competent. It's yeah. it, it, he's he's he knows exactly what he's doing, and he yeah. doesn't have to throw it in your face with every choice that he makes as a director. Yeah, um, he's a very, for lack of a better word. Because there's adequate, and there, then there's deliberate. He's a very deliberate director. Yeah. I mean, like you said, every choice in there, you can tell a lot of care went into it. Yeah. But not so much that it's right there in your face, like, hey, look at me, I'm directing something. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I also like, and this, is what I did, I, this is what we talked about more a few months ago when I saw the film, is the, um, what, I, what I like thematically about it, about how um, in this... In that place and time, you know, the Wild West, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, people kind of had to be users in a way. And they could find yeah. friendship within that, but so many of the choices that a person made day to day 
were almost literally life and death choices. Like, yeah. this is how I'm going to survive until the next day, you yeah. know? And I like the way that the movie, it shows that with the men yeah. uh, in the movie, you know, um, and how much of their choices have to do with, you know, whether or not to kill someone or, right. uh, you know, in violence. And then I like the, I love Renee Zellweger's character and what yeah. they did with her uh, because they didn't write her off as two-dimensional as, because she is... Uh, more or less a whore in the movie. Yeah. Um, she's using what she has to offer as a woman yeah. to get ahead and, uh, you know, for for her own benefit. And that, uh, so by, by definition, she's a whore. But right. she, the character is so much more than that. You, you're able to equate her with Ed Harris and Viggo Mortensen and, and these male characters who are killing to survive. Mm-hmm. She's doing what she can to survive, you yeah. know? And, uh, no, and being... Being promiscuous for survival or killing or murdering for survival are both equally immoral. Yeah. And, you know, so many movies glorify one and uh, damn the other. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's... Yeah, I'm talking about they glorify the killing. Right. You gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I don't I, know what movies you're seeing, David. <laughs> um, but... Uh, and I, and I, I liked just how... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I was going to say sympathetic, but that would almost be condescending. Just how honest and even-handed it was in its portrayal of both the men and the women uh, in that place and time. Yeah, I mean, it's... Because going in, I mean, you really do expect... I mean, you're taught that, like, oh, Renee's... Like, her character is just, like, uh, she's very undesirable. She's a traitor. She's... It's like, well, no. There's a difference between somebody who was never with you and somebody who recognizes that, well, right now, I've got to do this, otherwise I'm going to be dead. Yeah. Like... It's like these. It's like if I don't have sex with these guys, they will just rape me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's as strange as strange and almost amusing as that mentality is. It's a very real one for her yeah. character, and and I almost and and the uh, the ending of it and what happens to her character. It's fascinating. It's not what you would think because yeah, eventually our view of her is much like Ed uh, Ed Harris's character's view of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm reminded of a, a a line in Jackie Brown regarding um, uh, Bridget Fonda's character, where uh, Samuel Jackson, after learning that uh, she has had sex with Robert De Niro, he says, "Well, you can't really trust Melanie, but you can always trust Melanie to be Melanie." <laughs> and that's and I feel like that's the mentality that they have that Ed Harris's character has towards her, where it's just like, well. What can you do? But it's not again. It, it, it's not just something in her personality. It's, right. She's making choices. Like you talked about, she has to either ha- either have sex with uh, right. Who who is it? Uh, Jer- Jeremy Irons. No, I'm talking about the other guy. Oh shoot, Lance Henriksen. Lance Henriksen. Yeah. Or that group is gonna yeah is gonna rape her, and we would we're conditioned both both in film and just in like our sort of Western society in general. If she just cowered and shrieked and got raped yeah we would uh, like s- respect her more yeah than her making these choices that she does that she does that she that she kind of has to and should and uh, yeah. and that's a that's a sad thing about our uh patriarchal society tyler <laughs> what's your number five huh? <laughs> uh, a film with almost no female characters what do you think of that Jerry? <laughs> um 
Uh, I've gotten a little punchy an hour and seven minutes in. Um, all right, my number five is Frost Nixon. I didn't see it. Didn't see it. All right. Um, you know, there's no... Okay. I have no problems with Ron Howard as a director. I really don't have any problem. He's... he's I would say he's, you know, he's like, uh, he's like we were just talking about with Ed Harris. He's deliberate. He certainly isn't, he's not adequate. Like, he makes definite choices, and he's made a lot of movies that I like. I love Apollo 13. I like Cinderella Man. Yeah. Um, and I liked Frost Nixon. I mean, it's just, there, there's nothing, I can't think of anything wrong with him. Would I nominate him? Of course not. Th- because he, he just, the script is solid. The acting all around is is very good, yeah. But just, and he just directs to that, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you've got, if you've got solid material and great actors, you play that up. It, it does seem like he's kind of a. He doesn't, he doesn't go very deep as a director, right? So when he has a script th- or actors that do, he can make really great films because he makes, he. Ron Howard almost never makes the wrong choice as a director. Right. But he rarely makes a daring choice. That's true. And that's so true. That, that's why his films, yeah, when when you've got a good script and an actor, then they can just sort of, he can just sort of be the, uh, you know, the fulcrum of, uh, of the film. But he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, he just. He doesn't he doesn't drive a film along in a lot of ways. But I don't know. You should talk about Frost Nixon and not yeah. me talking about. Well, you know what? Everything you said absolutely applies. <laughs> um, it's. And it's a, it's a film where certainly Franklin Jella does a really great job because you, I mean, you've seen Nixon portrayed so many times. Which incidentally, it didn't occur to me uh, at the time, but at the Oscars, I believe it was Michael Douglas who was talking about Franklin Jella. And one of the things that he says is when we, it's like Richard Nixon has been portrayed many times, but when we look at you, all other portrayals fade away. Anthony Hopkins is on stage with you, okay. <laughs> It's just like that's awesome. I I didn't think about that at the time either. Yeah, he's right there. Um, But uh, anyway, so but certainly Langella does a great job and a testament to the to the the screenwriting. He's given a lot of notes to play, just not just the one. I mean, and the way he's played. They keep telling you and certainly in the trailer, they, they play up the fact that it's just like he wants to exonerate himself and maybe get back into back into the government, you know, mm-hmm. back into public service. Um, and there's that aspect to it. But there are moments when you're just like, this guy, there's something about being held accountable that people so badly need. And when you're the president and you've done something wrong and you've been pardoned for it, granted, he still resigned and he was going to be impeached and all that kind of thing, but it's just... He never had to admit what he did. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that need that is so clear in his performance of here and there. And then I'd say more uh, more directly towards the end. There's a great scene where Kevin Bacon does a solid job as his aide. Mm. And he pulls him out of the interview right when things are starting to get really rough. And And Nixon is just like, you know what, just let it happen. You know, it's not it just and you sense just this relief that comes over and where it's like it's like I can just finally just get this done. And it's but it's still painful. It's you you feel for the character, but not completely. And 
it would be wrong of me to talk about Frost Nixon solely talking about Franklin Jella. Michael Sheen does mm-hmm. a great job too. I mean, I'm really glad that they kept the actors from the yeah from the Broadway production. Yeah, because that's we talked about this a week or two ago. Like, I, I like Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I would have really liked to have seen Brian F. O'Byrne. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm be, I'll, be, I'll bet he I'll bet he was great on stage in Doubt. Right. But and it, I don't know for some reason I'm just on his jock the past few weeks anyway. <laughs> don't ever say that again. Um, <laughs> but the uh, but yeah, Michael Sheen. It's just his character. You know, uh, Frost is written. He's written very well, and it's just it's clear that both men have what the other one wants. Nixon has a great deal of intellect and weight. But he just isn't good on television, and he doesn't have the charisma to get across certain things. Mm-hmm. Frost is nothing but charisma, or at least as far as people think. He want he so badly wants to be taken seriously, and this is his chance to do it. Like it's just both men have so much writing on this, and it's really just it's it's a very balanced film uh, in the sense of you really go in expecting to see this amazing film about Nixon, and certainly you do, but it's just as much, if not perhaps even a little bit more, about Frost. And it's, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really good movie. I, would, I have nominated it, would I have nominated it for picture or director? No. But actor, screenplay, and, Wait, and it's and your editing. number five, and you wouldn't have nominated it for best picture? I don't think so. Oh, Okay. But it's your fifth favorite film of the year, and there are only five slots. In oh, that I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Stay tuned for the rest of mine. <laughs> okay. okay. What's your number four, David? Uh, this might be higher on your list. Slumdog Millionaire? That's my number 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's shocking. <laughs> Even more shocking when you see what my number four is. Go on. Oh, that depresses me. Because um, I really loved Slumdog Millionaire. I, I, did, I uh, did, too. I li- Ian. Okay, go on. I... I love Danny Boyle so much because yeah. he's he's like all the things we don't like about Darren Aronofsky. Danny yeah. Boyle comes so close to being that, and yet manages to pull it off every time. Yeah, uh, I think you know he he makes you know weird, crazy like postmodernist choices, you know, and it's yeah. like that that could it could take you out of the movie if he weren't so in control of what's yeah. going on, you know, and he he integrates these stylistic aspects, these non-diegetic stylistic aspects, if you will, uh, into the way the story is being told in such a way that it becomes a whole part of the experience. Right. So what you're seeing is more than just a story. You're seeing a movie. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Uh, And that's that's what I like about Danny Boyle is he he makes... He's like like a... Like when Baz Luhrmann makes a good film. Yeah. Which is not every time out of the <laughs> gate, but uh, uh, he's another guy who's able to to integrate these uh, stylistic flourishes, yeah, uh, in, in into a, where the, both the story and the way the story is being told are intertwined and they're they're one. And uh, Slumdog Millionaire does that great. It's a it's a real jumpy, poppy, flashy movie. You know, uh, lots of fast cutting and, and, and it camera didn't tricks. Have to be. I mean, when you, it's pretty straightforward as far as I mean, the the story jumps around a little bit. Yeah. But nothing about that story required that kind of filmmaking. But now I can't imagine it without it. Yeah. And he the, another thing that sets Danny Boyle apart from maybe a Baz Luhrmann mm-hmm. is that 
his tricks aren't the same in every movie. Danny right. Boyle uses he tells different stories differently. You know, yeah. Millions is a story that is more or less straightforward. There's a couple of like sort of uh, fantastical images, right. you know, or like stuff with slow motion or something, you know. But that it, it's every every movie he does is told quite differently. Yeah, you know, uh, and uh, so that's because you know if you saw Train Spotting. If I saw Trainspotting for the first time now, mm-hmm. and I'd never seen any other Danny Boyle films, I'd be like, oh, that's a good movie, but I don't know how many more that guy's got in him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and it turns out that he's... I, I, I look forward to seeing <laughs> Danny Boyle movies for the rest of his life. Yeah. As long as he lives and making ma- and keeps making movies, I would look forward to seeing them. Yeah. It's uh, the one... I mean, I guess as strange as it sounds, I, l- I really liked Slumdog Millionaire. I mean, it was, you know, up until yesterday, it was in my top ten. Uh-huh. Um, but it just, and that's the thing is, on an emotional level, it didn't really move me that much. Hmm. I don't know why, because I recognized what was happening as moving, and I would describe it as such. Yeah. And Maybe I you're just not a romantic like me. That's entirely possible. In this episode, by the way, I have described myself as both a pe- pessimist and a romantic. It's the contradictory nature of, of uh, humanity, David. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but I can't think of anything that he could have done that would have moved me. Uh, it's just it it certainly ha- it certainly held my attention. It, it made me want. It made me root for the character. I really, to the film's credit, even though. Even though, like, the original, like, uh, question that it poses, the multiple choice question, and then the title implying something, like, I didn't know how it was going to end. (laughs) You know, like, it's just, you're really, because you see the main character, he's so flippant about money Uh that you're like, he could lose it all. Yeah. Like, it could have gone that way. Yeah. And it still would have been so amazing. You know, it's it's an incredibly well done film. It's a, it's a, I'd say it's a great film, but it just for some reason, and I I don't I don't know why. I mean, maybe I am a little dead inside. That's entirely possible. <laughs> um, well, you're married. I don't appreciate that, David. <laughs> Although maybe I do. A Revolutionary Road is one slot above Slumdog Millionaire. Um, but the uh, yeah, uh, it's I, I enjoy I enjoyed the film immensely, and and. Anybody who loves it, I have no problem with that. It's just, for some reason, it just didn't have that one little, you know, just didn't have that one little click that, like, hit me on an emotional level. So. Okay, well, uh, shock me with your number four. Iron Man. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty high on yeah, the list for Iron Man. pretty high. I can't, you know, it's just, we go, and maybe if I went back and, because I, I, I kind of took something from the way you make lists, which is you you try and put, you add something on the list very much in the moment. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because like, you don't want your you don't want the once you start hearing everybody else's opinion of the movie, right. you don't want that to affect how how you feel about it. Right. And so, damned if Iron Man just so it's like, well, do I like it? Do I the movie I just saw? Do I like it more than this or less? Do I like it more than this or less? Yeah. And then based on that, I was just as surprised to see Iron Man remain in the number four spot uh-huh. as anything else. And so. Um, but man, I love that movie. I just it's and that's the thing is the ending is only is only so so the climactic fight between the two. There are certain elements yeah. that I like to it, 
that's what I think what kept it out of my top ten. Yeah, maybe. I mean, what, what made role models better than Iron Man is that that ending kind of right. left me a little. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if anything, I would the the parallel that I would draw is it's like uh, it's like I Am Legend last year for you. Yeah, where you didn't care for the ending, but so much of the rest of it was so good. Yeah. And Robert, I mean, it's been said already, but Robert Downey Jr., he makes that movie. I mean, it is a testament. I, I keep saying testament, but th- this 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 episode, it's all about testaments for me. <laughs> um, incidentally, when I was a kid, there was, a, and they're, they're probably still around, there were, uh, there were mints that you could buy at, like, Christian bookstores called testaments. Yeah. And they had little crosses on them. They were awesome. <laughs> and they were actually quite delicious. And, and, if I'm not mistaken... The uh, he didn't have the orig- the initial idea, but he put the money into it. Tom Waits' father-in-law, <laughs> really? Yeah, put the money to put the money into it to Mr. mass produce Mr. testaments. Brennan? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know his first name. Obviously. Right, but uh, sorry, I didn't mean to go in that direction. But uh, but yeah, it is. It's a testament to Robert Downey Jr.'s charisma that he is more interesting outside the suit than in. Um, not to imply that the suit isn't awesome, yeah. Um, but it's just I could watch, like I could just sit and watch Robert Downey Jr. talk about anything all day long, because he will find he will find an interesting back road into a topic or into uh, an emotion that you never would have thought, and just playing Tony Stark. I mean, when you think of millionaire playboy, it's like that's like he is who Bruce Wayne pretends to be, <laughs> you know, and and then when he actually hits a has a pang of conscience, doesn't actually change his personality that much. Yeah. Like he's still just like, well, I guess I better do the right thing now. Pardon me. I'm going to have a drink. Um, <laughs> it's just I mean, he is that movie. I cannot imagine any. I, I remember I was fascinated by the casting of him in that role. Mm-hmm. But I was like, how how is it going to work out? And now, like I like I said with, uh, you know, like I said about Slumdog Millionaire, where you can't ima- I didn't, I couldn't imagine that story being told in that style, and now I can't imagine it any other way. I cannot imagine anybody else filling the shoes of Tony Stark. I mean, he, yeah. and and that's that's the reason I like the movie. Although no, although, I'm sitting here trying to think of people. Uh, yeah, I know. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Um, Sam Rockwell, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Um, <laughs> Perhaps a bit too young, but that's all right. Um, but also, I liked I liked Jeff Bridges. I, I thought he yeah. did he was a good jo- he did a good job as a villain that nobody really knows about or cares about. But he's still he seems like a like a like he genuinely likes Tony, which is what is what makes his betrayal all the more uh, sinister. Um, and it's just it's just a really great origin. I mean, it spends a lot of time on him learning what he can do with the suit and deciding what he will do with the suit. And it really plays up. I remember they mentioned this once on the Paul Goebel show, like the heart thing. Uh They could have played that down, but Mm -hmm. they didn't because it's so uh, integral to who he is as a person. Um, Did you say integral or integral? I said integral. But is that the right way to say it? I don't know. There are two ways to say it. Okay. There's integral and integral. You can actually say it both ways. What I about, learned that once on I Love Movies with Doug Benson. What about um, comparable or comparable? I've only heard comparable. 
Me too. Well, I know I've heard both. I only use comparable. Oh yes, yes. Um, what about com- comparative versus comparative? Uh, I've heard, I've only ever said comparative. Isn't that weird? That is a little strange. Listeners, I guess I'll just apologize. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. So I feel like I had to say something. You've been talking for so long. <laughs> I'm sorry, but anyway. So <laughs> Iron Man is my number four, and I know it's not a great movie, but I can't help it. I it's a pretty love great it. movie. But, yeah. Uh, all right, well, my number three, keeping in the same vein, is The Dark Knight. That's my number three. All right. Well, high five. <laughs> Not actually. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't say that. Maybe they thought they could have thought we were high-fiving. If I did this <laughs> or something. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, The Dark Knight. And this, is, this is another one we talked about uh, quite a bit. With Entire episodes have been devoted to this <laughs> movie. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure what to say that hasn't been said. Yeah. Um, I will say that I... The second time I saw it, mm-hmm. uh, I liked it less as a movie, yeah. but I liked it more as a statement and, and more politically. And as it, a it, series of concepts. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it it resonated with me more the second time, even yeah. though I saw some of the weaknesses in the in the dialogue and stuff yeah. like that. Um, yeah. Uh, I still really like it, and as I mentioned uh, last week, uh, I've made my peace with uh, that... Uh, interpretation of the joker uh as far as the performance and and i'm fine with it it's it's yeah. in fact i i embrace it i think he's a really strong character uh and and well played um the one thing that has excuse me um the one thing that people have mentioned and it actually it does bother me a little bit growly batman it gets doesn't me bother me bit. at all gruff raspy because he does it he does do a different voice in batman begins okay i haven't seen it in a while and that's fine but he takes it like two more steps to the point that he's not always understandable and because like when he says when the guy says like what's the difference between you and me and then he says i'm not wearing hockey pads sounds like he said pants like there's just little things where it's like i I maybe you just don't know enough about hockey that you I know that you wear pads in hockey. <laughs> your mind doesn't automatically there go to no hockey pants. pads. There are no pants to be worn in hockey. Well, they, uh, yes, I know. <laughs> um, but uh, that, but that's the thing is that is not enough to take me out of the film. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just I enjoyed it a lot. And I tell you what, um, I think there's a thread on the BP forum uh, regarding episode 100, and, and it started with my comments about the Joker and then it turned into uh, an in-depth discussion of the Dark Knight and um, there's some stuff there was some stuff that was said that I don't really agree with but there all there there is also some stuff that I didn't even think about that struck me as interesting like the concept of how all the bat like all the Batman imitators like none of them are like in shape you know what uh-huh. I mean like they're all for for lack of a better word, they're all people like me or, <laughs> you know, like comic book guys, you know, but you also see that their hearts are in the right place. You know, they're uh-huh. not just nerds. And even if even if Batman himself kind of condemns them a little bit with his hockey pads line, it's like it does it does lead to an interesting it could lead to an interesting discussion. The guy asks, like. It's like, wh- why is it okay for you to do this and not me? And then Batman says that little joke. But that's a good question. 
You know, yeah, he started well, that's that. That's part of what I, the 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 political metaphor here in that movie is is so complete mm-hmm. that uh, Batman in the Dark Knight is President Bush. Yeah, uh, and it, it works on every level to me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, but in a, in a way that a lot of liberals might uh, react against because right. some of the things that he does are the right things. Yeah. You know, and God forbid, you know, it's like George W. Bush never made the right decision ever. Yeah. Being sarcastic. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> he did it. He, yeah. Anyway, but um, that's, but that's a perfect thing that you can apply to to, to President Bush. Mm-hmm. That uh, he could often be very condescending towards the people he's supposed to be inspiring and supposed yeah. to be leading. Uh, and he's kind of sociopathic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> I might get some emails about that, <laughs> but both Bruce Wayne and President George W. Bush are probably kind of sociopathic. <laughs> okay, then. Um, and there <laughs> was also that's what I like about the movie is that I, I don't know how, I don't know where Christopher Nolan and his his brother where they come down politically. Yeah. But uh, it's such an honest and even-handed look at that type of leader. You mm-hmm. know, he does like you know he spies on people. Uh, that didn't do anything wrong, you right. know, which our president did. Yeah. Um, it, but it leads to a right. good result, you know. It, it it has an honest look at like, and also he's not it, doing it maliciously. Like he's doing it out of a, for at worst, a self righteous sense of doing the right thing and all that. Yeah, but but he does take too much power into saying the people these people these innocent people who are being spied on mm-hmm. don't have a choice as to whether right. they're being spied on so it, it it goes back to the sort of s- the, the selfishness of a sociopath yeah you know uh, but they do such a and they do such a good job of making i mean i i mentioned on the on the forum that like the reason that the joker is such a good stand-in for terror for like terrorists modern terrorists is that he's not afraid to die yeah. He's not afraid to kill, and he's not afraid to die. He will do anything, regardless of any consequence, whether it be to him or others. How could you ever fight that person? Yeah, you know it's 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 a uh, and his motivations are less selfish, even yeah. even than Batman's. Yeah, uh, which is one of the one of the biggest sort of conundrums about our war on terror is that we're fighting people who are not. They're not holding people hostage for ransom. They're right. terrorizing for a motive that is, in a way, uh, I'm being kind of glib here, but more pure. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. We're, I mean, America's a pretty religious nation, mm-hmm. and we're, in theory at least, founded on the idea of being tolerant of other people's religions. Right. Uh, it's it, it it presents a conundrum in setting ourselves up against uh, the terrorists who are you know the the middle east and the al qaeda and those terrorists yeah. uh who are acting out of uh out of a motivation that we as a nation can almost sympathize with yeah we, the mot- to be clear we can sympathize sympathize with the motivation not necessarily the act yeah definitely not the act i don't know why i said not necessarily because joker is very i mean i remember uh i think pat francis graham elwood mike schmidt i think everybody has mentioned it that has come on the show that like and has talked about dark knight not just people mentioning it Uh um that joker is the his philosophies are not that different from batman like batman felt he had to go outside the system to make a difference and joker realizes like well clearly clearly you don't have much faith in the system nor do i 
because it falls apart so easily. Like it's just their philosophies are similar. Yeah, it's just the way they go about executing these things that that are different. It's it, that's the thing is it's just the film is so complex in the way that it. And first off, in the very fact that it wants to bring up these concepts, yeah, you know, it's just it really, you know, for there are there are some some definite flaws with it, but it's it's just so invigorating to have a major film pose these these questions. You know, I I felt much the same way about it that I did about Gran Torino. That you know, millions of people are going to see this movie. And maybe they're not even thinking about these questions. But honestly, like Joker, he because he because he's crazy. You can actually put very specific things in his mouth. You can put lines in his mouth that are very on the nose, and they don't necessarily feel on the nose. And it does, and it's almost like, and you can communicate directly to the audience. Like, what would you do in this situation? Mm-hmm. Would you blow up the convicts? I might. You know, it just. It really, I don't know. It's the the fact that that the Nolans saw the opportunity, yeah, to explore these things in a well established franchise is exciting to me, and I'm excited to see where they go after this. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, years from now, um, two of the things that'll be. Uh, the most indicative of, of the American mindset during mm-hmm. the Bush administration are the Dark Knight and Battlestar Galactica. Hmm. Uh, I, but uh, when I know you haven't seen it, but when Battlestar Galactica ends, I'm going to want to devote a portion of an episode to it. That's because fine because it's it's so good. The, these, this last little run of episodes started off a little weak, but oh man, it's so good right now. Okay, so because I remember when we last checked in with you on Battlestar Galactica, BSG. Yeah, uh, you were uh, not pleased with the direction it was going. I was, I was apprehensive. I was apprehensive. Yes, but it has so won me back. It's okay. been so good for the last three or four. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to start it. <laughs> okay, so that's both our number two. Uh, my number three. Number three. My number two. Uh, milk. Milk. Is that that's not your number two? It's number twelve. Holy fuck! I'm sorry. I I really liked the movie. I'm sorry. But this is going to be another one that. Well, I mean, Milk is a really well-made film. Oh, and yeah. Gus Van Sant's another guy, I mean, like like Danny Boyle, who uh, his style of filmmaking, even though he's very much, these, these, they're both very much auteurs, uh, yeah. if we're, we should never talk about that again, but <laughs> uh, we got uh, responses for those, who don't, for those who don't realize why we're, why we're sighing. About I do the like the code that you spoke, we got responses. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, they're... You can very much see them in their films, mm-hmm. but they adapt their style to to the film. You uh, know, aside from the obvious uh, personal... <laughs> sorry, my cat is doing cute things. Um, aside from the obvious uh, personal investment that Gus Van Sant had mm-hmm. uh, in the material, I wouldn't think that he'd be the one to direct it. But he, he does great things with it. Yeah. Uh, just at the very least, like his use of... of uh, like stock foot, not stock footage, but you know, footage yeah. from the era. Era, like, it's not a spoiler. I mean, they mention it in the first three minutes of the film that Harvey Milk is dead. If you don't know that, yeah, well you should, and that he was assassinated. If you don't know that going in, then why are you even seeing the film? Um, 
I do like the idea that someone goes in and it's like, wow, this is going to turn out great. Things are going really well <laughs> about halfway through. Um, but, uh, but like there's, there's a, they use the original footage of the woman making the announcement that the mayor and milk have been killed. Yeah. And you hear somebody just say, I don't remember what they say, but they exclaim something. Yeah. It's something big. They're just like, Oh Jesus. Like they say something big like uh-huh. that. And frankly, if that, if he had recreated that scene, you wouldn't believe that somebody had said, Oh Jesus. Yeah. But he used the original footage so that you understood like that was, a, this was a huge deal. Yeah. And, but I mean, you talking about the uh, use of stock footage makes it sound more, I don't know what the word is, more uh, unconventional a film than it is. Because it's actually... It's pretty straightforward for the most part. This is, in a weird, this is going to sound insulting, but this is a weird way more the Gus Van Sant of Fighting Forrester than the Gus Van Sant of Jerry or, oh, or yeah. Elephant. You or know? Last Days. Yeah, yeah he's, he's making a, a pretty straightforward yeah. uh, conventional narrative film here. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, it's a much better script than Finding Forrester, and and he and I'm sure his his personal investment in in the theme and story right. uh, helped things along. Um, but it's uh, it I, I I like that he saw that the story was powerful enough mm-hmm. and the message uh, important enough yeah. that he kind uh, he kind of gets out of the way of it. He just sort of. He, 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 you can just, you can feel Gus Van Sant just sort of nudging the film in the right di- direction most of the time, yeah. but kind of letting it go. Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, both the writer and the director, they're just like, well, you know, like, like Harvey Milk was a very televised person and a very outspoken person. Like, we can just use his, his speeches. Like, yeah. they speak for themselves. Like, he could word this better than we ever could. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, they just... You know, they, he just, for the most part, plays to that. And thankfully, he's got uh, a slew of very solid performances. Uh, Great performances. Can, yeah. All around. And, like, uh, I think, did I say this on the 100th episode? Like, mm. as good as Josh Brolin is in that movie, yeah. if I had had to pick one supporting actor from that movie, I would have gone with James Franco, because he was great. He was really good. But And now that I've seen the film, because I, I mentioned this in episode 100, just based on things I knew about the characters, like having seen the film, there's more for Josh Brolin to do. Not to imply that he isn't good; he's great. Yeah, but there's more. He's got more acting to do. Yeah, it it's, it, it tends to stand out more. Right. Yeah, but um, but you would agree that James Franco was oh he's really great. great in that movie. Yeah, um, Diego Luna was really good. Yeah, you, like you can measure you can measure how good he is by how uncomfortable you are when you're watching him. Yeah, you're just like ugh. This can't end well. So you you almost like if you didn't know if you only knew that Harvey Milk was killed and you didn't know by who you might actually think like <laughs> so is this a guy that get, that does it because clearly there's something wrong with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's but this is I mean you you talked about that you teared up during the wrestler. I cried twelve times in the first reel of yeah. Milk. I, again, I think I'm repeating myself. I in think this episode. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you you did just up it. I believe you said twice in the first reel. You've just upped it by ten. But that's all right. Um, Maybe people won't remember. Um, yeah, I and this is another thing. Like, like the Dark Knight. So much of what speaks to me about this movie is uh, as a political film. Yeah, because this is uh, this is an issue that is very very close. the The rights of gay people is an issue that's very close to my heart. Not because. Mm. I'm Gus Van Sant and I'm gay or anything, right. but because I'm uh, a thinking, caring human fucking being, 
<laughs> okay, and okay. this is you know, when 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 Sean Penn made his uh, acceptance speech, right. and he talked about the the protesters outside, and he said the people who are protesting are are compounding their inevitable shame. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I feel about it. Anyone who is against the rights of gay people, uh, will it, they're going to look like George Wallace in fifty years? They're yeah. going to look like just evil, selfish, uncaring, short-sighted, fucking ignorant motherfuckers. Uh, oh <laughs> in fifty to seventy-five years, hopefully, hopefully a lot fucking sooner than that. Mm. Uh, but you know, like I said, I'm a pessimist. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> a romantic pessimist um, <laughs> and a narcissist. As I there, oh earlier. my gosh. There's there's a lot of ists. Um, yeah, it. Uh, so the, the, uh, that's it's it's an emotional story and it has a lot of big emotional moments. Yeah. You know, like when you see the candlelight vigil at the end, just when you see and that stock footage again. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see how many people there were. I'm getting. Um, I'm starting. Are to you getting up. misty now? I am right now. Well, I, I'll, I'll I'll distract you, David. <laughs> and um, I did like because I did it again even during the Oscars when they showed the clip when he's like, "I know you're angry. I'm angry." I started like almost crying again <laughs> just watching the Oscars just from that one scene. Clip. Yeah, and then but, they cut to network. But um, it's so not. I mean, certainly it's it's got a bit, lot of big emotional points. But this right. It came out at such a perfect time, and I meant no pun with the word "came out" there. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> uh, that it. I I I I don't see how it didn't. That's why I I'm shocked that it's so far back on your list because I can't see how it didn't resonate with anyone else the way it resonated with me. I I yeah. feel like this is a movie that should be joining people together. It's one that, uh, as I added, Happy Go Lucky, uh-huh. and then The Wrestler, and then Revolutionary Road, and I saw Milk get bumped back and back. <laughs> I was like, oh, David's gonna give me crap for this <laughs> um, because of course I'm. Uh, bigot for it being number 12 um but uh and actually you know what as odd as it sounds i i want to go back to the use of stock footage Uh and and how that is absolutely the choice to make when showing anita bryan oh because much in the same way as like good night and good luck that's the first one i thought of too because people who people who watch the film they might not actually believe that somebody Anita Bryan claims to be a Christian, and this is where this is where you and I can uh, agree, David, because uh-huh. you were infuriated by certain things, and I was too from a different perspective. Uh-huh. So she claims to be a Christian, and uh, the fact that she said such horrible things with such a smile on her face just this smug self-righteous smile and it's a smile that you can you know i've seen before and it's one that i've probably had you know you can you'll run across it in the christian church and it's the things she stood for it's really awful and and damaging i would imagine yeah yeah because here's the thing I can't. Okay, there are Christians out. There are Christians out there who feel that you know gays should not get married. And all right, there's an argument to be had there. Um, but the fact that there are, and there probably still are, some Christians out there who feel that gays should not have jobs as teachers. And in the film, people who were okay, like people who supported gay teachers, should also be fired. Uh-huh. It, it just, yeah. The horrible ridiculousness of that 
if they had an actress play that, people would not. People would feel like you were doing, like you were overplaying it. You know, it's a perfect example of that. Okay. Did you see uh, Recount? No, I didn't. With uh, um, no everyone. Um, Kevin no, Spacey. I'm drawing Dennis Leary. Laura Dern. Laura. Oh yeah, Laura Dern. That's who it was. Okay. Who played Harriet Myers? It would have been more effective if you had just seen Harriet Myers because if you hadn't seen that any of that footage, you wouldn't yeah. believe that she was that crazy. Yeah, and it's just. I mean, you you watch it and you're just like, it really it hit, it absolutely hits home that this this was really going on. This was mm-hmm. a real thing. And it's just, I don't know. And it, it's it's bad for everybody. Any if I I somehow doubt that there's a Christian who's listening to us that'd be like, you know, that Ania Bryant's got a good point. <laughs> but it just you know, regard. Regardless of what you as a Christian or what we as Christians may think of the issue, the issue, for lack of a better word, of homosexuality, like as David said, like oh man, I don't want to make it enemy any enemies, but I guess I probably already have. Okay. Um. Yeah, like it's this isn't actually a Christian nation, regardless of what a person may think, uh, and so there are certain laws and certain rights, like. My my reasoning for voting no on Prop Eight was were purely secular legal reasons, you know, and just yeah. I, well, I'll say right now, as as as, as the atheist here, I'll say that if your church doesn't want to uh, allow gay people to get married in it, fine. Yeah, I don't care. I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, I I feel bad for the gay people who are in your church, but yeah. that's still your right. Yeah, and just I don't know. It's just it's. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go off on a thing. I just, and I'm not trying to play up my anger to show you that yes, David, the movie affected me. Um, uh-huh. But it's just that it's a movie that just they treated they treated the opposition. I won't say they treated them well. I won't say they treated them poorly. They treated them the way they needed to be treated by simply letting it, letting them speak for themselves. Yeah. Letting Anita Bryan dig her own grave, and then you like. I want to recommend milk to any Christian friends, regardless of how they vote or whatever the case may be at the very least. So that it's like, so that you can see what gay people are up against or what they have been up against. And it's like, regardless of your feelings of like, whether it's a sin or not, like it's still like somebody that you may, that you think of them as them. And it's like this film make, puts a face on it and says this is what they look like this is what they're going through this is what they're again what they're going up against it's really on that level it's it's a remarkable film and yeah. even and so even though it's number 12 i would absolutely have nominated it for best picture and director <laughs> so see there's um, no there's no <laughs> rhyme or reason to this and you know we and you more than i yeah but we have been hard on sean penn in the in the past yeah but uh man he gets he gets his next. He can make five terrible films in a row now, and he gets a pass. He still gets because a pass. he's amazing. I and when I first heard that he was playing Harvey Milk, I was kind of apprehensive about it because you thought he would bring more to the. I, there's a lot to that character, but you thought he'd do some some Sean Pennisms. Yeah, yeah. But he it's. Uh, I, w- I mean, I'm, I'm as much as I loved Mickey Rourke and the Wrestler. I'm not upset that Sean Penn won. I think it's. I think it's equally good. You know, yeah, I mean, it's it's the same thing where. Uh, very soon into the film, I was no longer watching Sean Penn. Right. 
I mean, yeah. it's yeah. He really lost a lot of the stuff that I don't don't really care for. And you realize that yes, this is the Sean Penn from like Sweet and Low Down, who will just do what the character requires yeah. as opposed to what he requires of the character. Um, <laughs> I didn't plan on saying that. That was actually quite yeah, good of me. But um, Mr. Grover, is that what you're thinking of? Uh, y- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, all right, you're number two. Or did you have more to say? <laughs> I had more to say. I'm sorry, everybody. We were moving along at a pretty good clip there, but then we, we, we've gotten hung and up we on Dark Knight and I'm milk. sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, I'm reluctant to say this because I'm not quite sure, much in the same way, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. The way the film... Oh, God, help me. And I, You might get mad at me, Dave, for this, David. Okay, just I, let, I, just I let me know. Yeah, I know. You're getting mad takes time. Um <laughs> the w- the way the film treated Dan White. <laughs> okay. First off, I think he was written well. I think he was played well. I think he was played very well. Uh-huh. Um but there's two things. One is it seems almost too simplistic to imply that he was gay. Cuz they don't First off, Josh Brolin do- Josh Brolin doesn't really like play that. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't, right. Because if he's a guy trying to hide it, he would. Right. Um, but he also doesn't play it as a guy who's trying too hard to hide it, you know. Um, but, like, it seemed almost simplistic. Like, can't his motivation just be hate or anger? I don't know. It, what What do you no, think I, of that? I think... I'm a little... That, that's what I'm I up think in the, the air the about. implication that he's gay, it, I think that comes from... Well, from what I've read about it, that's something that Harvey Milk had actually said. Okay. Okay. You know. Um, and I think in the movie, it's coming out of Harvey Milk's mouth, not necessarily the movie's mouth. Okay. Um, but I do think that his that Dan White, uh, his motivations in the film, whether or not he's supposed to be uh, closeted, mm-hmm. it's more than just hate. He's got psychological problems. Okay. <laughs> to quote uh, Maria Bamford's act. He's <laughs> <laughs> got psychological Psycho- problems. <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, And the other thing, speaking of those problems... And I don't want to be seen as somebody who is defending the guy who killed Harvey Milk. I'm not defending yeah. him. The, the ti- the, you know, I never actually figured out what you call these. The titles at the end, which explain what happened to yeah. every person, I'll just call them titles for lack of a better yeah. word. Cards, uh, if you want to go way back. Sure. Um, the card that explains the Twinkie defense is wrong. It is wrong. And that bothered me because yeah. it's like, you know, in a film... It's, it's not wholly wrong. It's just, it's very incomplete. It's incomplete. And basically, for those that don't know, the Twinkie defense, or what it wasn't called that at the time. It became that. Yeah. It basically said that Dan White was going through severe depression, or as David calls it, narcissism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that Dan White was going through severe depression and emotional problems. As he said, I've got an issue, which I think <laughs> is a nice little bit of writing there. <laughs> um, he was going through that, and as evidenced by the following behavior, one of those bits of behavior was the amount of junk food that he consumed. Right. Among it, Twinkies. Right, which has since been convoluted yeah. by people to say that, that he got off because... Uh, he had eaten so many Twinkies that he went crazy. Yeah, that he had so much sugar, Twinkies specifically, uh-huh. that it drove him a little crazy, and he and so he got manslaughter instead of murder because because of diminished capacity. Now I don't know. I you know I didn't go. I didn't study psychology, so I don't know if 
he sh- if he should have been if he should have gotten off due to diminished capacity or anything like that. But one thing that I one thing that gets me is one of the things about Harvey about Harvey Milk about the movement and about the film documenting the movement is that his big thing is people have a perception of homosexuals and he wants to show them what the reality is. Right. And it's like if you if you're going to do that then it, then do it on this front as well. I don't know if maybe the writer and director maybe if they just accepted that that's what the Twinkie defense was or if that's what or if they wanted to infuriate audiences more by having it be uh, by putting that up because that's large what's widely accepted nobody's going to look into it um yeah and so i don't know i i'm 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 willing to say that it wasn't as insidious as that i yeah you're right but i do think that using consumption of junk food as uh, a symptom of psychological problems right is almost as ludicrous as the Twinkie defense anyway. Right. So it doesn't. It, that's why it didn't bother me that much. And, and it still seems like this is a guy who was. Uh, I, I don't know. He he got. He did not get what was coming to him. Right. Well, uh, now I feel bad for saying that. He eventually did from himself. Um, yeah, but then that makes me seem like I. But when I say that, it makes me seem like I think that the American penal system is just. But <laughs> that's. Yeah, that's um, a topic for maybe a different hour of the podcast. Yeah, or maybe a different <laughs> podcast. Um, but but that was that was one thing that bothered me, and it, and I can't even really put my finger on why. It just seemed a little bit. It's like ah, you lost me like a little bit right there. Um, and so anyway, uh, I apologize if it seems like I am coming to the defense of uh, the murderer of Harvey Milk. No, but, it doesn't uh, sound like that at all. But all right, so um, all right, so number two for you, Wally. Oh, good. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Okay. Um yeah, uh you know, I'll try and keep the, I'll try and keep it uh, short. Um I love Wally because because among other things and the, it happened last year with my number 1 Ratatouille, Pixar is so good at leading the audience towards an attitude of uh condemnation. In Ratatouille, it was the critic. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And then it gives him a chance at redemption. Now, with Wally, you see what humanity has become. It has become, they basically become overgrown babies yeah. who are dependent on technology for absolutely everything. And it's funny and it's kind of sad and it's a little biting. Um, also, the fact that the entire world is in this space station, yet they only speak in American accents, you could make it. You could make note of that as well. Uh Um, But just when you think that just when I'm it started to turn me off a little bit where it's just like, yeah, all right. Yes, I've seen this before. It said it actually makes a larger comment because the minute there's the possibility of going home and actually kind of fending for yourself maybe a little bit, the the humans are all over it. Like, mm-hmm. that's absolutely what they want to do. Like, just when you think the film is going to condemn humans to complacent uh, children, mm-hmm. it says, you know what, this is just what they have been. And if given the choice, they absolutely will take this other choice. Yeah. And I like that bit of hope that it gives. Yeah, that's my favorite thing about the movie thematically. The rest of the movie thematically is the reason that it's a little lower on my list, because yeah. I feel like... Some of it 
is just a little too on the nose, mm-hmm. a little too idiocracy. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I was reminded of idiocracy a lot in the early parts yeah. and with a lot of the Fred Willard parts. Yeah. You know, um, uh, so that was, uh, that was upsetting. But, um, I would Although say, I do like the name of the big chain, by and large. Yeah. I enjoy that <laughs> for some reason. Go on. Um, I would say, the honestly, the main reason that I like Wally is uh, different than Dark Knight and Milk. It's less for theme- thematically thematic and political reasons mm-hmm. it's that it's such a gorgeously constructed film and it's yeah it's a you know it's like th- uh, another animated film this year that i loved was kung fu panda yeah because it was such a uh a visceral you know awesome fun to watch movie yeah but it doesn't as, as much as i love kung fu panda it doesn't hold a candle to how much fun it is to just watch wally I was so happy I saw it. Did you see it in the theater? Yeah. I was so happy I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I I wish I had gone and seen it in IMAX or something because it just, it does what Finding Nemo did where it's just, it creates this world completely and you're inside it and like you and I just had a huge smile on my face the whole time because mm-hmm. it's just so much fun. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's got some thematic stuff in it that I really like. It has some genuine romance stuff in it that I like. Yeah. And it's just uh, it's just ama- an amazing experience. For la- You mentioned, I forget what the term was, but you mentioned a, a, a phrase that you, that you don't like saying because you don't like sounding like that. But honestly, Wally made me... Oh, God help me. I was like, this is what movies are. Like, this is what uh, movies are all about. As crappy a phrase as that is. No, but, like, no. it's it's everything that a movie should be. Um, and I just, and I loved it so much. And if we weren't running low on time, I would actually bring in, I'd bring in a conceptual theory that a friend of mine was discussing in regards to Wally and animation in general that puts it below live action um, as far as a genre. Well, that sounds like a uh, possibly an, episode an entire topic. episode. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Maybe we, maybe Let's we'll jot do that. that down. Actually, that sounds like a fun episode. Topic. Yeah. Um, okay. So number two is Wally. Number one for you, David, is a film I don't think I've seen. Yeah, it's a film you haven't seen. Everyone who listened to the hundredth episode will not be surprised. My right. favorite film of the year was Rachel Getting Married. All right. Uh, and this is one that's it's it's funny. It's sort of a mirror of uh, Synecdoche, New York. Okay. Because, like I said about Synecdoche, uh, I hated it, and I could see someone loving it. And right. couldn't really argue with that because Joel did not care for it for many yeah. of the same reasons. Yeah, and I feel the same way about, about Rachel getting married. It mm-hmm. spoke to me so directly, and it's uh, God, it's, uh, this is me maybe more the romantic side of me than the pessimist side of me. But it's 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 joie de vivre, if you will. Yeah. Uh, it, but it's anyway. Let me finish my fucking thought. Okay, is that it spoke to me very personally, but I could see someone being turned off by it for all the reasons that I was turned on by it. Right. But what I, I'll, I'll, I and I, so for that reason I won't talk about it very long. Um and because we've been going for fucking ever. Um whew, almost 2 hours everybody. <laughs> um yeah, if you're listening in the car and you've gotten home in the garage, turn the <laughs> you can just turn the power on. I don't want anyone dying of carbon monoxide poisoning listening to me talk about Richard getting married. Yeah. Um <laughs> Or me talking about Iron Man. That'd be really... <laughs> that'd be... What a sad existence that would be. But I guess, briefly, what I love about it is that it, it's such a celebration of uh, of the the great simple pleasures in life, which is family and friends, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it does that with the backdrop. It's sort of like what you talk about with Christian movies a lot of times. Okay. That they, uh, um, they want to... 
they 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 because they're Christian movies or whatever they can't depict the things that they're against. Right. Honestly, and that's what Rachel getting married does. Not the things that it's against, but it's so honest. Yeah. In that it's uh, some of it is just hard to watch and really depressing and just the, the sort of the the psychological underbelly of of humanity in general, you know, and just the way the way that we relate to one another in in manipulative and mean and selfish ways. It's all there as well, mm-hmm. but in the end, uh, I, I don't know about I'm not going to give anything away in the story, but just the feel of the movie is that loving life and being around your family and friends will win out eventually, hmm. you know, in, e- even if it's only, you know, a measure of inches. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's what's going to make life worth living. Hmm. Gosh, I guess I really got to see <laughs> it. Um, I don't know if I, if I will anytime soon, cause Jen just told me that she saw it today. So <laughs> I guess I'll have to go see it alone. By the way. Yeah. Yesterday I went and saw revolutionary road and the wrestler alone. And, uh, <laughs> Afterwards, I went and hung out with some friends because I so desperately needed to. Um, I saw both of those alone, too, but, yeah, not a double feature. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that Rachel getting married, it's just, it's such a, for all its moments of kind of, like, awkwardness and uh-huh. all that, that it's just kind of a, like a celebration Yeah. of, I don't know, of just relationships. I mean, yeah. it sound, I mean when I read about it, I mean, it sounded, honestly, like a Mike Leaf-type film. Yeah, it doesn't at all but sound it, like. Yeah, but it has the it has the Jonathan Demme like him infusing his. Well, but Joel, uh, like, I can't remember he, how he flippantly dismissed it as like just like his iPod playlist or whatever. Ah, yes, but uh, it has a lot of music that you can tell that Jonathan Demme just really likes. Yeah, and so I guess you kind of have to like that music to like it. Hmm. But I also want to mention before we move on to your number one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I don't think I got to mention this when I t- we were talking about with Joel, but uh, Bill Irwin as the father. I've is heard he's great. so great. Yeah, and such a like. He's a, he's such a unique and weird kind of character, you know, that but you you totally buy him uh, mm. and you want to know him. Hmm. And then but I mean also isn't uh is Deborah Winger in it as yeah. well? And yeah. I've heard she was great as well. She is. Yeah, I mean I just hear that the the acting all around is is great. I mean everybody you know, I I, I hate how under the graduate of Zana Arquette found Deborah Winger when she was searching for her <laughs> or else we wouldn't have had the performance. Well done. Um <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I hate how predictable I am because I, from several different uh, people, like I remember friend of the show Jason Aiken. I hadn't. There were a lot of movies I hadn't seen at the time. I hadn't seen Rachel Getting Married or Frost Nixon or The Wrestler. And uh, Jason was like, uh, he goes, he goes, yeah, I didn't really like uh, Frost Nixon, but you'll love it. <laughs> and he and uh, and I was like, oh. That makes me sound bad, <laughs> and just and just the way and everybody that I talk to says that I will probably really like Rachel getting married. So and uh, and so I do, in spite of the fact that we've we are now recording this episode, I will probably still watch it someday. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, because I had just like written off ever seeing Doubt or Frost Nixon. I was like, well, we've gotten to the episode, and now I never have to see those movies. That is that was a big motivator for me <laughs> to see a lot of movies in the last few days. Um, all right, so my number one. I think I've successfully kept it a secret. Yeah, I don't think I know what it is. It's very exciting. Uh, my number one is The Visitor. Oh, wow. I, uh, yeah, um, for those who, who don't know, it was, uh, thank God, it was up for Best Actor um, for Richard Jenkins. Um, kind of bummed out it wasn't up for screenplay, but that's all right. Uh, it's from, this, it's from uh, 
Tom McCarthy, who yeah. uh, is an actor primarily. Um, he was in Good Night and Good Luck. He was on the last season of The Wire. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But he also was the writer and director of The Station Agent, which is a film I love. And when I saw The Visitor, uh, it's done with that same... Everything about... <sighs> Everything about the visitor is it's like it's like Thomas McCarthy called me and said, "Hey Tyler, I'm I'm going to make a film for you," <laughs> and I said, "Oh okay." Um, it's just it's very methodically paced, um, but it does it never feels slow. I mean, it, there's very definite plot elements that need to happen, but basically, it's about this guy whose wife has passed away for you know after several years, and he's basically just very very alone, and he's a college professor excuse me, who's been writing a book for a while and hasn't really finished it. Uh, and then he has to go to New York where he keeps an apartment but hasn't visited it for a long time. And it uh, turns out that through some shady dealings by his landlord or somebody, uh-huh. um, there's people living in it. This uh, mm-hmm. young couple and they're illegal immigrants and he basically strikes up a relationship with them and uh, learns more about them and they learn more about him and it's just it's basically relational um and what happens what's fascinating is that the reason that i that i love it so much is there are a lot of movies in the last few years there have been a lot of movies that tackle uh hot button issues Uh um and uh and some of them i saw one uh over christmas called rendition um, with uh, mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, and uh, not good, not good. Didn't expect it to be good, uh, and I was correct; it was not good. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sorry, David. Um, and so, and that's one where it's just like the issue comes first, and then maybe okay, perhaps character and plot. Um, and but lately, I've found like something like Milk, which tells a story that's absolutely about a modern issue but it couches it in kind of something else seemingly mm. um and then last year there was a movie called uh, in the valley of ala with tommy lee jones which is is an okay film but it uh it approaches the concept of war and the the impact that this war has had on um the soldiers fighting it but and and the visitor uh, approaches the concept of our attitude towards illegal immigrants, and the reason, and I, and the reason that this movie does so well, as opposed to rendition, is because, and, and the reason that I would say it's similar to In the Valley of Ela is it starts with a character, it starts with a story, and then a an issue that would impact these people does and then we see their reaction to it um and it's it's phenomenal richard jenkins first off is is uh, does a, a solid job um as this guy who's just and he does not telegraph anything it's a great kind of performance where it's just it's all very inside but you know you you sense that something is kind of brewing especially as he deals with the the central plot conflict uh and then finally when he does blow up and gives voice to what has to be the director's opinion Mm -hmm. about the government's attitude towards illegal immigrants um 
you don't feel like it's the director talking to you. You feel like it is this character speaking because of what he has been through and because of the the opinions that he has and the friendships that he has made. Um, it's just, it's incredibly touching and it's funny, it's sad. I mean, it's it's very much like The Station Agent where there's just, it has all these different elements of what, this is going to sound a little grand, of what life is, where it's not just a drama. It's not only a comedy. It's not just a romance. I mean, it's just, it's all these things. And the biggest, the biggest uh, compliment that I can pay the film is that, um, and I'm sorry if you're listening, Mom, my <laughs> mom uh, over the years has grown very, very conservative. And, you know, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but uh, she has been very outspoken about some things uh, that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, and this includes uh, illegal immigration. And then she saw The Visitor on mm-hmm. my recommendation. And at Christmas, she was telling me about the impact that the film had on her, that she talked, that she realized, like, She's like, you know, you come to realize that these are just people. They're not just an issue. They're not some faceless uh, group that's out to take our jobs or whatever it may be. Uh, They're just people who are just trying to live. And she's like, and it really got me thinking about that. She's like, it really made me realize what what this actually is as opposed to what we've been told it is this issue Hmm. and the and the film did that i didn't do that no amount of argument did that the film did that that's that to me is there was a there was a time when david and i when we were going to uh on episode 100 talk about why we love films that's what the topic was going to be and then we decided to go with uh no topic specifically at all but with guests with guests yes. which is frankly probably more fun for the listeners uh, more th- yes <laughs> um but i wanted to bring up that story because that is what is amazing about film and and about art in general yeah is that it can whether it be political or emotional it can all of a sudden make somebody realize something or see something that they would never have seen otherwise. And it can, again, a little grand, it can change the way somebody thinks, um, if only a little bit. And the vis- and that's what The Visitor is, and uh, that's why I love it. David, you should see it. Okay, good, uh, good note to end the show on. Yeah. Except that we have to do the normal thing where we say... Uh, yeah, give us money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our website is battleshipretention.com. There's a donate button on the first page, yeah. but on uh, m- multiple pages. Of there's on, there, it's, yeah. But there's a lot of fun stuff on the website. There's a, right. a movie recommendation once a week. Yeah. Um, m- usually on Thursdays. <laughs> more or less on Thursdays. It's, it's a goal. <laughs> um, um, there's a blog that's updated semi-regularly. Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff and there's uh, something else we want to try that we actually mentioned a long time ago when we had fewer listeners yes uh, and fewer and, a, and, a, and kind of a weaker website yeah um, now we're going to try this again okay if you want me and Tyler's opinion on on something or advice or something <laughs> or just a uh, you, you can ask personal questions which I probably won't answer but whatever I will answer I've lived with David uh, for years <laughs> We don't live together anymore, no, but, but we I, I can answer. 
personal questions about him. Okay, so if you just uh, send us questions, just whatever question you would like to ask us, yeah, um, we will pick a few of them, and once a week we will do uh, video segments that will be on the website. I don't know about once a week. Maybe once every couple of weeks. Oh, okay. If well, we want to shoot for once a week, then maybe. Yeah, there'll just be a few minutes long. Uh, yeah. Once every, every once in a while. I there guess you now. go. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll go up regularly every once in a while. There you go. Um, yeah, just us just uh, answering your questions. It'll be a fun, uh, a new fun feature for the website. That's right. Um, That's right. And you get to see what we look like, and then I gotta freaking dress up. Thanks a lot, David. <laughs> I can't just be hanging out in you know sweatpants and a wife beater. Um, which is what he's always doing. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it, it'll and uh, we're hoping it'll bring people to the website, you know, and yeah. uh, participate in the forum, read the blog, and uh, do yeah. all that kind of stuff. If if there's anything else, uh, our, oh, our, our our email address, if you want to send us a question, is battleshipretention at hotmail dot com. That's right. That's right. Hotmail. You know. That's it, right. It's not that big a deal. We've I know. Not forgotten our roots here at Battleship Pretension. <laughs> <laughs> That is a joke for one person, <laughs> and maybe two, but that second person didn't express anything. Um, but, uh, um, oh, and then, of course, uh, if you if you so choose, and we would uh, love it if you did, uh, go over to iTunes and leave some nice comments about us. Yeah, uh, and if you're listening and you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. It doesn't cost shot. you anything. It doesn't cost you anything. Yet. It's easy. Yet. <laughs> no. That's the key. Never. It will never. We're not going to be charging ever. Yeah. Man, so. But it's, it's just so easy. It's so easy. Yeah, so go right. ahead and subscribe. And on that browbeating note, uh, thanks everybody for tuning in for the last two hours and almost 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> we appreciate it, uh, and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.